This is Jocko Podcast number 356 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Gettysburg was a great battle. It's action, it's tension, it's hazards, it's consequences. In it were involved questions of gravest import, the decision of which makes history, interests social, political, moral, personal, of gravest import for ourselves, for others, for our country, for man everywhere, for the present time and for the future for which also we hold a trust. The pressing question before us was whether we had a country, whether we were a people or only a populace, whether we were a mere chance partnership only holding only by human will or a nation constituted in the purpose and calling of divine providence bound together for the noblest ends of living by ties of mutual interest and honor bonds both of love and law. All the great ruling sentiments which have their vital source in this idea, patriotism, loyalty, self-devotion for the sake of others, nay, what we consider the supreme of earthly blessings, largest scope for individual life, endowments, powers, genius, character. These were the prize for which we wrestled in that terrible arena. More than this, involved here too, were the widest human interests. We fought for the worth of manhood, for law and liberty, which mean freedom for every man to make the most of himself with goodwill of all others, without oppression or depression. We had a deep inward vision of this at the time, though unspoken and perhaps unclear, but no man, even now, can realize in thought or recognize in fact all the reach of good coming forth out of that struggle and that victory for the country and for mankind. And that right there is a quote from a speech by... Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, and he was at a banquet to honor the 16th Maine Infantry and the 5th Maine Light Artillery Battery. And it was the 16th Maine who, on July 1st, 1863, they were ordered to hold a position at Chambersburg Pike, but this element of men was eventually overrun. And as they were being overrun, they took down their flag their regimental flag and they ripped it to shreds so that it wouldn't be captured by the Confederates. And of their sacrifice, of their 275 men, 11 were killed, 62 were wounded, 159 were taken prisoner. But because they did that, because they held the line as long as they did, it allowed 16,000 other Union troops to retreat and regroup around Gettysburg. And of course, it was the next day, July 2nd, when the 20th Maine, under the charge of Joshua Chamberlain, was able to hold the Union's left flank on Little Round Top with a bayonet charge that stopped the Confederates, the Confederate Army's best chance for victory in that battle. And 
essentially at that point turned the, or at least started to turn the tide of the war. And it's no surprise in my humble opinion that these soldiers from Maine accounted themselves so well. They're from a state that has harsh winters, rugged terrain, and a culture of hard work and self-reliance. And today we have someone with us that has become a Mainer after retiring from the SEAL teams and is now looking to serve his country and his state again. His name is Ed Thielander, and he's here with us tonight to share some of his experiences and lessons learned. Ed, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, this is awesome. It was awesome to get out here. You know, I went out to Coronado last night uh, and watched some, you know, some tadpoles playing on the on the oak course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it hasn't changed much, you know. Uh, it, it's uh, that's one thing I missed from you know jumping over to the East Coast it was seeing these young frog, you know, men wannabes uh, just get after it and, and try and figure out, how, you know, how to negotiate the obstacles on their own time after training and, uh, yeah, and yeah, watching them run back and forth to chow. You know, you run six miles a day just to go eat in boots. Um, that's not counted workout, that's just to go eat. And watching that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great to be back out on, on the West Coast, check it out for a little while. And uh, I'll be popping back over to the East Coast tonight. Yeah, the O course is all fenced off now. Yeah, you no. can't just walk out there and do it. No. I mean, back in the day, a civilian could basically right. walk out there and just run the O course, yep. and now it's all fenced off, uh, which is a bummer. Because you know, it's kind of cool that you could just roll out there and run that thing. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal O course. Um, and we'll get into that. Let, before we get there, before we talk about your buds, your team's experience and all that, let's start at the beginning. Let's start where you came from, where you grew up, what was going on. You're from uh, originally from Michigan, is that right? Yep, yep. Romeo, Michigan. Uh, so so what was going on growing up? So, yeah, uh, born in Marquette. My dad uh, was going to school up there. Uh, you know, my dad did six years in the Navy. and then What did uh, he do in the Navy? He was uh, a missile tech, uh, you know, subs. He, wanted, he was trying to talk me into... Go be in a nuke. Dang, that's a hard <laughs> conversation. <laughs> he's, he, he's telling me, "Yeah, you get steak and lobster, you know, and you don't even have to get up to get a drink, you know, because you know, people." Yeah, that's because you can't get up to get a drink because yeah. it's so crowded. Yeah, and then you run out of fresh milk on you know the fifth day, and uh, you know they never turn the lights off or uh, in the hallways. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, or I'm sorry, in, in birthing. In birthing, they never turn them on except once a week to clean, and and then they go in there and pull up all the deck plates and get food out. You Did know? you ever do sub ops when you when you were in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was at SDV. Oh gosh, you know? okay, so yeah. I mean, which is just funny. Yeah, you know, team guys with nothing to do because we're kind of all ready for whatever we're going to go do, and we've got nothing to do except make jokes and, and uh, cause trouble. Yeah, you know, we were on the Dallas, and. Uh, we're the first ones, you know, getting ready to eat because we're ready to go do our little gig. Uh -huh. And uh, there's this little S turn, and so we all line up, and there's this pipe that sits right about head height, right about here, mm -hmm. uh, and we all lined up so you had to hit it. <laughs> um, but all all the the sub guys, no, they just you know shifted their head around it. <laughs> it was every diver and team guy that whacked right into that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that submarine life is is a different kind of life and yeah respect to the guys that do it i mean it's 
I could I I would I think the longest I was ever on a submarine for was like maybe a week and a half or something like that. We were on. We yeah. went on to go do some to go get inserted somewhere, and bad weather came, and right. they wouldn't launch us, so we were just stuck there. Right. That was my first experience with hot racking. Right. You know you know what that is, Echo? No, hot sorry. racking. It means when you share a bed with someone. So, like, you're you're working one shift. Oh. When you get done, I when you go to work, I get in your bed. So we share a bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take turns. It's, yeah, take obvious. turns. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. You can have two to three guys. Yeah, uh, damn, uh, not cool. So, so cool. when when you get on with the SDV, you know uh, the SDV is a little wet submarine for folks that don't know. And they put this basically this garage on the back of a submarine, and, and it is it, it's wildly awesome because uh, you that whole thing is dedicated for moving you know uh, uh, two or six guys from point A to point B. This big giant garage door opens up, the, the SDV goes out, you know. 10, 12, 20 hours later, that thing comes back. Um, it, it's pretty wild. But we bring a bunch of folks on there to help us out and get everything ready. So they clear out a rack of torpedoes, and, and uh, that becomes your bar- your beds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just so I gave up my bed to one of my guys uh, because I was getting off and he was going to stay on and work the comms problem. And, and I, I'm, you know, decent sized guy. I can't turn. In under that torpedo rack because the next torpedo above you, I, mean, I actually have to squish my shoulders in tight. Uh, and and, uh, it, and they in the uh, torpedo uh, area, they do n- not turn the lights off. Yeah, ever. That thing's just always on. Uh, everywhere else, they kind of cycle daylight um, <laughs> in, in the work other working areas except the torpedo area. So you're just in there, you know, they do put up a curtain. It means nothing. You're shoulder to shoulder, head to head with, with you know, whatever it is, 20 other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad's trying to convince you that this is the way to go. Yep. Go be a sub. Yep. So was he a submariner? Yeah, yeah. He did uh, six And he was years. a nuke? No, he, he was, was a, a, nuke? Oh, a okay. torpedo man. He was trying to talk me into being a nuke. Oh. And uh, those nuke guys, they work hard, man. Dude. It is yeah. no joke. Yeah. That job is a tough grueling in the freaking nuclear engine room or whatever right. I don't know what you call it the reactor room right, right. God so oh. so to work out on a submarine you got to put your dosometer on because you got to walk past the nuclear reactor and then they've got it's they're all quiet workouts they did have a square block of uh, dumbbells you know mm. uh, uh, which is you know they, they all wear tennis shoes so you don't make noise you know so you don't get no, no can hear you from above and then it's you know it's an elliptical not a treadmill um, so, you know, we don't want to pound in other feet. Mm. It's, yeah, you can do pull-ups on something and you got those dumbbells in, a, in an elliptical. Yeah, it is Jack. an ideal life for a guy that has a, more of a propensity to be a seal. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so yeah. your dad, so what'd your dad do after he got out of the Navy? So, uh, yeah, he went, uh, went to college up in Northern Michigan, uh, Michigan Tech, in, <laughs> so driven. In three years, working two jobs, he got his bachelor's and his master's, uh, and uh, you know, with with three boys, and then moving down to uh, Southern Michigan, teacher, electronics teacher. So, it was what, a good, in high school, high or school, in college? Le- high, high school electronics teacher. Yeah, and it was legit. Uh, I, we were. He would do all this after school work and, and uh, weekend work with his kids, you know, his students, and we'd be in there climbing in and around all the 
electronic gear and he'd have us making circuit boards it, it what i remember to be a ridiculously young age a good a ridiculous you know uh, uh i mean like five years old burning circuit boards <laughs> um you know it, 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 we made stuff flashing lights whatever mm -hmm. uh, um but it was all fun and games and then all of a sudden we can do some wild stuff mm -hmm. you know we were always forced to figure things out i took electricity in high school with the teacher I don't, his, we all, everyone called him Scotty. But that's where I learned how to like wire houses, you know? Yeah. And it, it, to this day, like, I mean, at one of my houses, I, this is when I was still in the teams, like, took a weekend, redid, put in an electrical sub panel, redid all the wiring in my kitchen because it's all jacked yeah. up and like such a great skill to have. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's all stuck with me, you know? I, I figure stuff out. We never had a new TV ever. <laughs> we fixed all those old tube TVs, you know, and, and changed the channel with the pliers, you know. <laughs> yeah, we fixed our cars, you know, from fixing our bicycles when we were young, young, and then we got motorcycles, you know, little, you know, YZ sixties, uh, and we tore those down to nothing and put them all back together again. First truck, you know, that that was given to, to me to use uh you start that thing up in a cloud of smoke and then we tore the whole thing down uh you know in high school on the weekends because they had a, a lift and all that stuff so did, so did you go to school where your dad taught no no um he he was like like the the big high school north or south of us mm -hmm. you know 2000 plus kids we were like the 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 smallest of the big schools you know so so 32 mile center of town was paved 33 mile road was dirt so we lived close to the dirt road it's <laughs> <laughs> so what when when you were in school are you into school are you getting good grades getting decent grades you know uh, uh into the sports you know uh football wrestling and then track kind of dropped track off at the end and uh, just concentrated on football and wrestling uh you know like school but not crazy into it, you know, like the math, um, you know, decent grades. I was a B-ish student, you know, uh, nothing, not, definitely not way into it. Were you thinking you were gonna go to college or what was your dad steering you towards or your mom steering you towards? So I was getting steered towards the Navy college, Navy college, Navy college, you know. Uh, my dad really, you know, went up to Ferris State University, Division Two school, it was a college. First year I was there, it became a university, whatever that jump Wait, that's is. where, that, so you did end up going to college? One year of college, yep. Uh, and, and you uh, said you got a scholarship? No, Oh, okay. no, no, no. Um, no, just uh, my dad went up there to introduce me, get me on the wrestling team, wanted me to you know, okay, do that, you know. Uh, good team. So you're uh, a good wrestler? Decent. You know, How'd you I do in high school state wrestling? Did not make the states, messed up my knee, uh, in, uh, ended up having surgery on it. Uh, yeah, I just had like two-thirds of meniscus taken out. Uh, when you're like 17? Yeah, yeah. So, so I had that surgery, and in two weeks, I went to wrestling camp. <laughs> <laughs> so was that your not senior year? Yeah, that was my senior year. It, and then you healed up enough that you could go up and you walked onto this wrestling team at Ferris State University. Yep, and I was a red shirt. You know, I, I did not compete, but I stuck it all the way out. I mean, I start, we started out with like 90 kids and then there was like 17 left, at, you know, at the end. But I, I was good weight for my coach. What uh, weight were you? Uh, 163, 165, whatever it was in college. So uh, you're just scrapping with the... Yeah, our, the our coach was, was, you know, number one in the nation. 
you know, when I, when I came out here to, to San Diego, his big rival, um, Butler, was, you know, they were number one, number two. I mean, my coach in college was number two. Butler was number one. Uh, and and uh, it was cool because I was working out under Butler at the time. I would go work out at uh, uh, San Diego Community College oh, right and, and wrestle there, you know, where Dean actually ended up going. Oh, we had the same coach, a couple of years <laughs> difference. That's uh, wild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you say you only went to you only went to college for a year. Yeah, uh, halfway through, and I was on a uh, plastics engineering program. There, there wasn't room for everybody to do all all the plastic classes, so I was on a waiting list. So I was taking my English, my math. I took a three hundred level metallurgy class as a freshman, and uh, I got out of there halfway through the year. I said, "Yep, I'm going to go do the option." You know, finish this year out strong, and then I'm going to go be a SEAL. How did you hear about the teams? Did your dad tell you about them? No. Uh, Adam, I guess you say, Adam Blake, good dude, um, in high school, he was reading Men with Green Faces, uh-huh. like the only book about SEAL teams at the time. And I go, hey, what's that about? He goes, oh, that's the SEAL teams, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go, oh, that's cool. He was trying to talk me into joining the Marine Corps with him, which he eventually ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I said, hey, how come you don't want to go do that? Oh, that's crazy. You know, that's so hard. It's not really possible. Check. And then so that put it in my head, that's what I want to do. And I'll go and do the college and then, you know, can't quit anything. Never allowed to quit anything as a child, you know. Uh, so I finished the year out strong and I signed up uh, for the late entry. I worked out a little bit in the summer, did a couple of uh, triathlons, you know, because I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. what I was really getting. We, there were no books about yeah. it. There was nothing really. No prep courses. Nothing. What did the recruiter say to you? Um, like, Come on in. Yep, sounds great. Looks like you're going to make a great seal. Yep, great seal. <laughs> you know, thing so, he tells everybody else. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, took the ASFAB and all that happy stuff and, and, you know, smoked that, qualified to be a new, qualified to do whatever. Um, and, uh, was your dad like, see, son? Could yeah. Be a nuke. Yeah, you're still trying, you know. What'd your dad say once you told him you're going to try and go on the teams? Uh, yeah, cool. But at the same time, hey, you, you really want to look into, you know, being a nuke. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, being on subs is cool. You know, the whole steak and lobster thing. And, you know, you don't have to get up and get a drink. And, you know, they're all a bunch of good dudes. But, uh, yeah, I don't belong in a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> I get on the sub to get off the sub to go do something. And so, then, so, yeah. so did they have dive fair? Were you dive fair? I was a dive fair. That's yep. what I was too. So, so yeah, you get a guarantee to take, take a tryout yeah. <laughs> in boot camp. Uh, and then whether you pass that test or not, uh, you are in the Navy for six years. Yeah. It's a great recruiting tool. It is a great recruiting tool. And that's the... The, the SEAL teams is a great recruiting tool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, if, you know, they say that the, the, the attrition rate is like 80% people quit or whatever, something like that, right? right? But if you start taking all the people that came in the Navy oh. to try and go yeah. to the SEAL teams, I mean, there's most people don't even make it, you know, two buds. Or at least a bunch of people don't make it too right. Much. So they're get, the Navy's getting a lot of a lot, lot. of people. Well, just you know, Blue Angels. I mean, that's on all the commercials. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, who there's, gets to do there's that? Seven of them or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, and it's cool to be on the Blue Angels changing tires. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, that's not what they're advertising. Mm-hmm. All right, so you join the Navy. 
You have no. How's boot camp? You're no factor. You a wrestler? Yeah, no, like used to boot, boot camp was just something to go through. It was, it was pretty wild. Did to you see. go to Orlando or yeah. Chicago? Yeah, oh, oh that's where all the dive fairs went at the time. Okay, uh, yeah, that's where I went too. So I guess it, that it, makes sense. It's wild seeing all these folks come from you know that that boot camp was a factor, like a wow factor. Either mm-hmm. the teamwork part of it, you know, uh, um, people getting authority uh, as a recruit that like. Yeah, you never have to. You should never have authority, <laughs> and that and and seeing people stressed out uh, about the you know, simplest of things, uh, um, and that was wild to, mm-hmm. to see those differences in people. That that, uh, um, wow, you know. So so yeah, boot camp off the books. You know, boot camp, Navy boot camp is different. Is is a lot about isolation and staying on a ship. Mm-hmm. You're only allowed off the ship one time. You know, for like a recruit weekend or something like that. Uh, you have, you know, that's what the Navy's about. You're stuck yeah. on a boat. And the Navy's about like blue collar industrial work. That's right. what most of the Navy is. Sure. And that's why Navy boot camp is a lot about attention to detail. Sure. You know, following directions to a T, you know, checking what you checking your work. Because, you know, if you're working on an aircraft or you're working on a engine or you're working on a parachute, like all these jobs, they're industrial jobs. Yeah. And you got to be squared away at that thing, you know, as opposed to the Army or the Marine Corps. A lot of those are field jobs. You got to be doing something in the field. I mean, of course, the Marine Corps has aircraft mechanics and everything else too, and so does the Army. But that the Navy is vast majority of it is industrial work. People that know how to work on engines, people that know how to work on electronic equipment. That's what it is. Right. So that's what the Navy boot camp's geared to. I think it's, it's come a long way now. If you go watch like a Navy boot camp video, they have a simulator in Chicago, like a ship simulator that fills with water and right, they gotta right. fight fires and so they, I think they did do a good job it looks like they've done a good job at making it more a little bit more combat related or at least like Navy war fighting to at least get you that mentality because you should right. have that mentality if you're in the Navy so I think they've done a good job moving in that direction but essentially it's a bunch of industrial work that you're learning how to do yeah you know thick thin thin thick yeah, yeah. No, it's at the t-shirt. The way you fold the t-shirt. This is the Echo Charles. So when you fold the t-shirt for Navy boot camp standards, there's like a certain way to fold it, and it ends up looking like there's a thin layer, then thick, oh, thin, a thick thin, layer, thick. then there's a thin layer, a thin layer, and then another thick layer. And you got to learn this, and you do it like following orders, attention to detail, attention to detail. Yeah. Before you get to play with a nuclear reactor, we want to make sure you can fold a t-shirt. <laughs> Wait, what's thick and what's thin? I don't know. Uh, it's the folds. Yeah, you know, the there's folds other somehow. material under there. So it, it, the, the first fold is thick. The next two folds are thin. And then there's another thick one. Yeah. It's just the way it, it's just a, it's, it's this funny thing that, you know, I mean, I, that was 1988. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they still have it, but. I know Leif Babin still folds his shirts like in a Navy manner. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, bro, he went to Naval Academy. What the hell was that? I saw his stuff folded. I was like, damn, what's going on over here? Yeah, yeah. it's stuck. It, it, it is a little attention to detail things, but, you know, some of these folks couldn't. It, there was this brilliant, you know, young man, kid, whatever, uh, uh, and he wigged out in the end. Started crying. Oh, yeah, you, know, you definitely it, see some people wig out. I mean, there's no like, doubt about that. Wow. <laughs> no doubt about that. You know? I mean, I understand it's some other things, you know, and I like, I wouldn't have wigged out for that, but I get it, you know, Sears school and, and, you know, I didn't see anybody wig out in the teams, but I saw them wig out in Sears school. Yeah. But uh, not Navy boot camp. They yell at you. Yeah. You know, that's an expectation, uh, uh, should be. 
you know, but, but uh, some people just aren't used to that in their life, you know, and uh, wow. Yeah, I think also people get the impression that this is what the whole Navy is going to be like for the rest of my career. People are going to be yelling and screaming and, right. and you think, yeah, I can't take this and leave or, you know. No, they just want to make sure you can stand up to a little bit of stress because eventually something might get stressful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you get done. So do you go straight to Bud's after that? Where'd you go to A school? Yeah, Corman A. So, <laughs> so remember maps, right? Yeah. Your military and processing. Yeah, put a fifth choice down because I put all, I I only wanted to be a SEAL. You know, mm-hmm. uh, our source ratings. You had to pick a source rating because if washed out, you would go to the Navy and, and do that. Uh, so I put down you know three choices and an alternate. Well, I still didn't pick Corman yet, so I said, why don't you put down a fifth alternate? <laughs> <laughs> and so I got the fifth alternate course school, but knees, it was knees of the Navy. Yeah, last easy <clears throat> class. It, it was only eight weeks. Uh, next class shifted like fourteen weeks. And, uh, you know, trudged through that and, and uh, off to what should have been buds, but they messed my orders, my orders up and sent me to Balboa, you know, because they were like, we're not a, my class 163 mm-hmm. didn't start till whatever it was, April, whatever. So they weren't going to get me there till like a week before, you know, but mm-hmm. you still had pre-training. And they didn't care. They needed somebody to go work. You know, somebody at the hospital was saying, "Hey, we need some bodies." Damn. So, so they sent me there, and you know, I was working for a really good senior chief. And I said, "Hey, you know, uh, this is what I got going on. I don't think it's quite right." And, and you know, I'm just a new kid in the Navy, and I'm still like, "Hey, this isn't right. Um, can we check it out?" And so, I what I would do is I would go run down to RTC from Balboa, and I found you know. Uh, Senior Chief Billy Hill and, and Goward, and I said, "Hey, uh, you know, Senior Chiefs, can I get a little help here? Because I don't think this is right." And they go, "Yeah, that's not right. Go get, get your swim in. We'll fix it." And so they fixed my orders, but it took a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, I got to Buds, and a week and a half later, I classed up and started. Damn. <laughs> and you yeah. were class one sixty three. Yeah. And you classed up a week and a half after you got there. Yeah. You said that's a that's a little bit of a quick start. Yeah, because uh, I didn't know anything. You know, I'm seeing everybody. They're, they're, they like got their, you know, that rope around their belt. Uh, you know, and say, "Hey, what's that about?" <laughs> oh yeah, we're doing underwater knot tying tomorrow. Jack. Yeah. Uh, uh, you were know, you a good swimmer? I was a decent swimmer. You know, um, you know, I, I sink like a rock. Mm-hmm. I basically, you know, beat the water into submission. If anybody has ever been a, tried to be a real swimmer, you cannot beat the water into submission and go faster. You know, uh, uh, it, it yeah. You it sound takes like skill. you sound like my kind of swimmer. Like yeah, it's, a, it's like, me against the, it's me fighting the water. Yeah, <laughs> uh, somewhat vertical through the water plane. Yeah, <laughs> I sink like a stone. But you were comfortable like knot tying when it did come yeah, down for knot tying. I and dove as a kid. You know, oh, okay, um, well, there but you go. but you know, knot tying. Okay, how do you tie that? You know, those series of knots. You know, right. I didn't know, and that, you know. That's what we're doing tomorrow. Okay, how do you tie those knots? How was Hell Week for you in your class? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, summer Hell Weeks. You know, just they're warmer. Um, you know, uh, uh, these these other guys that are thinner are they are gonna suffer before I was because I was I'm you know the mesomorph. You know, uh, I'm naturally heavier guy. Um, so basically, they kept that boat on your head longer and you know my neck will tell you about that today still <laughs> yeah uh, uh yeah you know um remembering all the wild things about about hell week you know you know what was your worst you know thing in hell week tuesday <laughs> 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 so uh i always say 
uh, Ryan Zinke what was uh, um, our first phase officer. Uh-huh. And at, at uh, chow times, you eat four times a day. At chow time, uh, he would go around and make sure no one fell asleep. And if you nodded off, you're going to get a jalapeno, <laughs> you know. So Ed being from Michigan and, you know, roast beef and mashed potatoes, you know, <laughs> peppers like the ultimate spice and used sparingly. My mom's, you know, French Canadian. It's, it's a lot more bland food. I've uh, never had a jalapeno in my life. <laughs> and your lips are blistered, you know. Uh, uh, so Ed eats the jalapeno. Check. Uh, and I threw up. You know, it's a one mile run with a boat on your head. I threw up for a mile and a little bit because we ran all the way to the O course and we did the O course with our boat. And I threw up all the way through that O course, hauling the boat around, and then I've got no fuel in the tank. Uh, That was a long, long day. Yeah, I remember that. You know, and then remember the other things about you know hallucinating, hallucinating. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, lion's lope. Mm -hmm. You know the. the, you know, getting mad at my paddle. I remember it though. <laughs> my paddle's not, you know, you know, making us go. I'm crying hard. You know that this paddle should make me go faster. You know, uh, uh, yeah. Remembering paddle prayers. You know, uh, uh. <laughs> what's paddle prayers? So they would put us together around in a circle. Oh, so we have paddle above the and other guy's your, head. You got your paddle. Yeah. You got your paddle so you're like this. And when you fall asleep, it hits the other you try thing. and catch yourself and you whack the dude. <laughs> it's like, is that in the program? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I was a really motivated young, you know, uh, uh, number one bow line man. You know, the, the guy the guy that jumps out uh, on the rock portage and, and yep. anchors the boat. Yep. Said, I wanted to be that guy. Yep. You know, uh, that's uh, the spot, man. That's the spot. Get in there. Let's yeah. do this. And uh, when that boat's upside down on your head, uh, that's <laughs> the spot too because you're taking some serious weight. Yeah, uh, that's uh, a dangerous evolution in big waves, man. Good old and rock it's fun, portage. You know, we didn't have helmets. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we had K-Pox, you know, big, giant, you know, horribly uncomfortable life jackets. Uh, and... Uh, Wow, now they got helmets, you know. Yeah. I, dude, I, I noticed they took the stump jump completely out now. Yeah. But they, they reduced the stumps first, and now the stumps are all gone and they're tires. Tires, yeah. And that's kind of, because that's a mental thing, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, everybody knew the right stumps to jump on. It's just that all the fear of falling. Yeah. And I don't remember anybody falling. I, you know, I don't know that somebody fell and they hit their head. I don't know what the, yeah. It, it, Echo, this is on the, on the obstacle course. Mm-hmm. One of the first, well, I guess it was this actually the second obstacle. You go across that dip bar thing. Right. Right. And then you would hop off and there'd be telephone poles caught off at various heights in the ground, like stumps. Yeah. And you would have to jump from stump to stump to stump and they'd kind of increase in heights and the last one was a little was depending on which route if you took the right route which everybody knew the last one was the tallest one Mm. had to jump a little bit further for it and then you could jump you jump up onto this uh grab this wall this low wall which was probably like 10 10 feet tall or something something like that that. from the stump from the stump but it did take it did take like uh what's commitment to right. commitment to to jump from stump to stump, yeah, yeah. and it got you used to committing, yeah. right? And now it's just the tires, like you see on a football field. You know, you run the right. tires. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, you're right about that psychological part. Right, right. right. There, there's a fear of falling. It's just yeah. like you know, if you focus on the the stump that you might fall on, you're not looking at the stump that you want. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if you ever, are you skiers? 
Yeah. You know? uh, um, <clears throat> if you ski with a helmet on uh, and then you take your helmet off, there you ski, you ski slower, mm-hmm. especially if you ski in the trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're skiing in the trees and if you're looking for the gaps, you're good to go. If you're looking for the trees that you don't want to hit, you're going to find that tree. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's the same kind of thing. It's 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 uh it's a psychological thing, you yeah. know, to, to get you moving forward. Yep. And they got helmets now too that they wear all the time, right. which is weird too, because like even during Hell Week they wear helmets. Really? Which is to me the agony of that boat grinding on your head was like a huge part of of what. Sucked. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, boat guys lost because seri- you're, you're getting. You know, your head, you're getting some serious sunburn. You don't have a whole bunch of hair. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it, your head's getting blistered. It, it's a psychological part of it, man, that, that uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to wear a helmet or not, actually. Yeah. I'd keep you a little warm, you know, I don't know. Any other, so once you got done with Hell Week, you're in the rest of Buds, was there any other major challenges for you there? Um, eating dry out at the island. <laughs> Would you say eat and dry? Yeah. So you know, at, at at least one meal a day, you had to either do the pull-ups, yep. the frog hill yep. run, or the rope climb. Mm-hmm. What pull- did you suck at? Something pull-ups. Okay. <laughs> I could not. Yeah, gravity. You know, rope climb is fine because you use your legs. Technique. Uh, uh, um, but man, I ate wet a lot on pull-up day. <laughs> uh, it, it was funny because because for whatever reason, I never did pull-ups growing up, and, and uh, yeah, that was. Uh, no, the island was second phase for me. Yeah, uh, that switched it eventually. Yeah, <clears throat> we're back to it, I guess. So, yeah, eventually, I mean, I became a pull-up freak. Mm-hmm. You know, as a big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, was, I think uh, uh, even after my shoulder surgeries, I did you know twenty-six something pull-ups. Like six months later, it's like it's personal challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so pull-ups was one. You know, running not a great runner. You know, swimming, but you know you're swimming. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah, the, not a top performer by any means, uh, uh, but just kept going forward, you yeah. know, and, and uh, you know, just all you had to do is perform, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, pass, you know, but perform. You know, not tying, um, normally no factor. We did it in the dive tower. Well, how deep? Well, the rope's sta- same depth, uh, uh, 10 feet. Uh-huh. Zinky took me down to 50 feet. <laughs> and we just hung out there and looked at each other. And uh, till he was, you know, tired. <laughs> and then we came up to the top. And there is a set, you know, it, it's all set, what you're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. Uh, and uh, I was like, okay, yeah, you're ready to go? Yeah, ready to go. Uh, you know, and we went down. And, uh, and then we, we came back up. You know, and bam, next knot. They were back down again and back up and down. No, so I failed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's one thing that's interesting. What I remember about some of the breath holding stuff, like 50 meter underwater swim. You're going right. to buds, you're like, ah, it's no big deal. I, I could do that. But, and not tying. Oh, it's like, it's nine feet. Go down there, tie knot. But you're in, in buds, because of everything that's going on, you're constantly like beat down. So you almost always have a cough, you kind of have a cold, you kind of have like right. mucus, you're always like that, you're always tired. Like like a four mile timed run. Four mile timed run, first phase was 32 minutes, four mile timed run. You look at that on paper, on the outside, you're like, well, what's that? That's a freaking, well, you know, I can right. do that, no problem. 
Then you get in there, you got boots on, you got pants on, you're running in the soft sand, and the run is not four miles, it's like 4.2 miles, 4.4 miles, 4.5 miles. Right. And then, and and what'd you do the night before? The night before that morning, four o'clock in the morning, four mile time run, you did, you know, a thousand eight count bodybuilders, or you did buddy carries up and down the berm. So everything is harder than it than you think it's gonna right. be in buds it's not what's on paper it's what what actually happens is harder yeah no and you didn't get to eat but you had to run to chow and you had to go through the line mm-hmm. and touch the hamburger that you want to eat yeah. um but there was no time to actually eat it you know you wasted time running all the way but you that's what the, you must go there to do yeah, that yeah. but there's no time to actually sit down and eat and then you <laughs> run and you go do the evolution because you have to be at the evolution on time did so, you get rolled for anything no, no. Just, First time every time. Yeah, it, it's, uh, um, mm. well, I mean, I failed that, but but my lungs were messed up from uh, from Hell Week. You, mm. Not yeah. tying right Same. after Hell yeah. Week. That's, that's, like, uh, that's the know. kind of thing that makes it hard. It's like, you get done with Hell Week, you're jacked up, man. Right. And now you got to go do these knots underwater, and you're like, <laughs> you can barely even hold your breath for 10 seconds. So right. It sucks. <laughs> and, then, and then you get taken down to the bottom. Yeah. You know? And 50 feet, going down to 50 feet is no joke. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a legit that's a legit swim. Right. Uh, Subsurface swim mm-hmm. that takes a that takes a decent amount of time just to get down to fifty right. feet, right? And now you got to do your little happy time knot with feet, a smile right? in the tower. Yeah, the tower was yeah, fifty. We feet. went to the yeah. bottom and sat. Do you see it's gone now? The tower. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. A yeah, yeah. That, uh, I drove around there just checking everything out. And so, but, what are you? Are you like a seaman apprentice at this point, or just an E three? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. there, happy to be there. Check. Yeah, I mean you're. <clears throat> Knowledge of the Navy, knowledge of, of what I'm, you know, other than I'm signing up, I'm, you know, I'm going to get to shoot, blow things up, skydive, scuba dive, serve my country. Hell yeah. You know, uh, uh, let's it, rock and roll. Let's ro- hey, cool. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it uh, you know, then like um, pool comp, uh-huh. you know, th- that was another one where, you know, and I had uh, um, one of the mean instructors. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and was he a senior chief at the time? Yes, he was. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 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 hey, great respect, you know. Um, but he ripped my mask off at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. So basically, you, you got your your you got these old scuba tanks on with uh, flexible hoses that you can tie knots into. Not modern gear. They're actually soft, hollow. Uh, hoses, so you can tie knots into them to cut the air off. Uh, and uh, you know, he takes my mask off and le- but leaves it on my head. And I said, "Okay, I'm not going to put it back on. I'm just going to keep." He's just swim back and forth. And, and you get to the end, you turn around, and while they're doing that, they're just coming in on you and, and wrecking your gear. And you have to do everything procedurally correct. And uh, I did everything procedurally correct, but since my mask was accessible. I should have put it on. Uh, Fail. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I had to do that again, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and I got even harder instructor. Uh, what considered harder, but fair in my mind, you know, uh, uh, and, and super dude. Uh, but he, uh, um, yeah, I got put through the ringer again. But but you know, I put my mask on when it was available. <laughs> and uh, lesson learned. Know, lesson learned. Yeah, uh, I was a whole bunch of learning because I didn't do any of the. You know, well, they didn't teach you that prehand because that that was third phase for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've uh, been there, and, you know, you know, back into shape again. Uh, it, it takes like a year, is what they say, to recover from Hell Week. Mm-hmm. You look at some of those cats. 
Um, and I remember, you know, I was a class corpsman, mm-hmm. you know, sending dudes to the hospital with encephalitis. You know, their hands were just, you know, big giant puff balls and their feet, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's, uh, and we didn't get any sleep in Hell Week. You're supposed, there's scheduled sleep, you know, uh, uh, but we did not get that. Yeah, I think the scheduled sleep might be a couple hours total, something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's two blocks of it, and you're supposed to get dry first. Um, well, that one I know my class got because they, you know, they tell you some story like, "Hey, the 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 skipper said we're being too hard on you guys. We we have to stand down for eight hours. You guys go get right. dry, and you guys can go to bed, and we'll wake you up tomorrow." And I mean, you know, it's bullshit. But right, right, you still, right. you put on dry clothes, and then yeah. you go, and you actually get in your bed. And this is probably probably Tuesday. Yeah. And and then you know, a half an hour later, they come in and they get you up and hit the surf. And right. But but guys quit because it's it's a smart move to Ooh. get people to quit. Oh yeah. Because they go into the comfort zone. Right. And then they bring you back out. You know, you gotta watch out for that comfort zone, bro. That thing will grab a hold of you. Oh yeah. That's like when you're doing a long ruck march. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, if you stop, you gotta stop for like five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes at the most. Then you gotta get your ass up and start walking again because you start going into that 15 minute break, 20 yep. minute break, your body gets cold and you're screwed getting back up. Mm-hmm. But uh. Yeah, so I, we slept that point, and you know, you fall. Sometimes you're just falling asleep. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. You're right. just gonna fall asleep. Yeah. The, uh, so they got us into dry clothes, and we had a kid in our class that um, quit on Tuesday. You know, whatever twenty class or whatever. You know, years before came back, and uh, so he had knowledge up to Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and so we, you know, he knew something about it. So we got dry, but then they put us on the grinder and uh, on the pavement where we worked out. And, and you know, we started doing flutter kicks. And uh, um, instructors up there doing our flutter kicks. He brought the class leader up there, and had uh, the class leader started leading us. And then the instructors walked away, and we're on our backs. We're in dry clothes. That's the standard. Um, class leader would not let us go to sleep. It's like, yeah, go, you know, he's trying going around making us say our social security numbers, our birthdays, you know, trying to keep everybody awake. And it's like, I, I, I go, and I'm, a, I, I am a kid, you know. I go, you're doing the job for them, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so then they at the end because they they're you know in that first phase corner office just giggling i i, I imagine yeah you know uh and then they uh let us you know said all right they're probably trying to figure out how to make that officer quit <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, this they, guy's they, too they, dumb they, they weren't gonna make that guy quit that guy's a hoss he doing the underwater swim you gotta swim you gotta swim tied up um and you gotta do a flip into the water and then you swim 25 meters flip and then turn around and come back Without a mask on, um, so he did it flutter kicking. Damn. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 This is not not the tied up one. The one you just the regular oh, yeah, underwater yeah, swimmer. The hundred meter um, tied up one. You know, uh, uh, but but you have a mask on. I think on that one. Uh, but the other one you didn't have a mask. He's flutter kicking it, and he swam off course. Finally got back on course. Made it there and back. It, it hard hard Sorry. hard to stone. Yeah, uh, uh, college football player, you know. Uh, uh, but 
Yeah, so they put us put us to bed and um, somebody had a watch hidden. You're not allowed to have a watch. You have no concept of time or day or anything. Uh, uh, and uh, you're always trying to figure out what day it is a little bit, you know, uh, you know, trying to remember what meal, you count from meal to meal basically. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was 22 minutes. That's what we got for Hell Week of sleep. It's not a lot of sleep. <laughs> no, legit. <laughs> So you graduate from Buds, and what, did you want to go? Where did you end up going? Team, you went to Team Three, right? Yeah, I went to Team Three. So you get the dream sheet, mm-hmm. and you know, I put like all I, I wanted to go to Maine because I I, I love the snow, and I, and it was like, start to go. Yeah, no, you can't do that. That's stupid because you can't. You got to go to a team first. You know, the, the, we have four billets up there in Maine. That's how I eventually got up there. Uh, but I put team, I want to do cold weather. I, want, I put team two, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I put team four. I don't remember what else I put. But you put uh, all the East Coast teams. I think so. And the Navy said? West Coast, SEAL <laughs> <still> Team Three. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had a great time there. Uh, uh, you know, um, the first platoon, you know, um, Mark Car- Mark Crampton, Bob Edwards, oh, right you know, um, folks that you remember, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Miss Mark, you know. Yeah. Mark uh, was friggin' awesome, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, crazy. You know, we can talk about that, just the whole, we got to watch out. Mark, Mark, you know, say it, you yeah. know, committed suicide and, and uh, completely unexpected. Totally. You know, I mean, that dude was solid as stone. Yeah, just, just an just awesome mentor guy. mentor to so many people. I mean, mentor, yeah. but uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, a smile on his face every single time I interacted with him, which was sometimes right. on a daily basis, but I mean, for his whole career, he just always had a good attitude about everything. Right. About everything that was going on. And yeah, so totally unexpected. You know, he retired. He's yeah. been retired. He had been retired for quite a few years, maybe. What do you think? Five years, seven years, something like that? Something like that, yeah. I mean, he kept on just. Moving on up and doing yeah. good things for the teams and, yeah. and, and everybody around him. I mean, always a self-motivated, self-improvement guy. Always looking for that next thing to make him and, and everybody around him. Yeah, better. and helping a, and not not just the teams, but he would like help kids that were wrestling. Had like a wrestling right. club. He's just doing everything. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was that was a uh, that was a great platoon. Um, you know, uh, Westpac. You know, did. Uh, uh, so where'd you deploy to the PI or did you go? Where'd you go? PI, um, PI, um, Penotubo hit. Oh, okay. You know, just after we left and we came back, uh, I came back with Foxtrot platoon, um, and uh, you know the ashes everywhere. You know. <laughs> so you weren't in the PI when Penotubo hit? No, no, I was not. You uh, came. How was the workup and everything? Your first platoon being a new guy. What, what, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, you were yeah, a corpsman. Huh? I was a corpsman taking the hits. You know. Uh, uh, <laughs> We had a good bunch of new guys, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, yeah, Gino Bam Bam, uh, uh, Ghost Man, Dave Casper, lost him to cancer uh, recently. Uh, I don't know if you remember, these guys were still around yeah, there at yeah. the time. Um, yeah, uh, just a good, yeah, uh, and, but legit, you know, we, you make a mistake as a, as a new guy back then, you know, you're gonna pay for it. I really didn't get too much grief I mean, one day out at Nyland, you know, with the old Nyland, mm-hmm. you know, with the tree of woe, and <clears throat> yeah. uh, they were, they were, you know, uh, tuning some folks up. I was on watch, you know, I was not touchable. <laughs> Dave, the Ghost Man Casper, um, they were going after him, 
and they chased him. He got up on top of the mill vans and the RSUs that were over by the fence. And that's, there's a gap big enough to drive a semi-tractor trailer and unload it. He jumped over that barbed wire and made it out into the desert and spent the night out there. Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And then, so what did you do on deployment back then? Uh, you know, I, I deployed. Much training, yeah. you know, a FID, uh, uh, you know. Uh, did you go to any cool countries? Yeah, uh, I had a blast in you know South Korea. Um, you know, we went to Japan, did some sub ops there. We did uh, uh, shoot. Where else did we go? Um, I mean, there wasn't a whole bunch of traveling. You know, the um, Gulf kicked off. We, we deployed early. You know, I did not. We didn't do. Did you backfill someone that went to the Gulf or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, SEAL Team Five, worst <laughs> job ever in the teams. Hey, we just need you to backfill for the guys that are going to war. You're like, no. <laughs> so yeah, I missed out. Uh, you know, significant parts of the workup. You know, as, as a new guy too, and you know, and as a corpsman. Back then, we didn't have the training that they got now. Yeah. You know, and, and I could have got some more of that. You know, uh, uh, but I mean, the first stitches I ever ever did other than on a, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a fruit, uh, <laughs> was my own knee. <laughs> we were work up out of Nyland and they had, uh, uh, a pistol course we were running. There was a pipe you had to crawl through that had bullet holes in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, dug on my knee and, you know, like I never even used lidocaine cause I was not, not taught that in course school, you know, and I hadn't been through, uh, um, the EMT course where you got all that yeah, at, at this point in the workup. And so a whole platoon watching me because I'm the doc in the platoon. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, which again was just crazy wrong, you know, from what they get. A platoon guy now had more training, the regular platoon guy oh, now had sure. more than, than what I had then. They're so squared away. And, now. Uh, you know, I never <clears throat> tied a knot on a human, you know, a stitch. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's watching it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Figured it out, <laughs> yeah. Herc, 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 uh, Doc, uh, yeah, Doc Herc was, you know, supervising me, and uh, I figured it out, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> cleaned it, cleaned it out myself, uh, and that was, you know, but um, it, it, you know, we came back second platoon, we were like getting ready to get uh, Corazon Aquinos out, you know, ninety two time frame, mm-hmm. ninety one, ninety two, and that was. That was a fun little, uh, you know, jump into the deployment. We jumped into doing that. And you've you done the quick ducks where you're uh, um, in recoveries where you're driving right into the back of a 47. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were doing it in the back of 53s. Oh, that's wild. Tail rotor. Yeah, how's that work? That's got to be sketchy. <laughs> Especially when you're by yourself. Uh, but I, you know. Uh, what are they like, hey, you got this. You drive it in there. We'll, yeah. we'll wait. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so we... You know, everybody goes out, and uh, no big deal. You know, but they're um, it, it's uh, it's fully inflated, just about, uh, or it was. And drive, take everybody on shore, and then recover back onto the same helo by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's two hundred forty knot rotor wash from a a fifty three. Yeah. So echo, just to explain what you're talking about. So a CH fifty three is a big giant helicopter, but it, you ever seen the helicopters? that have two big rotors on top, right? Yeah. That's what we would normally do this on, well, that's called a 47, or a 46 is a little small, but a 47's big. But the 53 has a tail rotor, like a normal helicopter, so when you drive in the back, you're 
coming close to this thing for sure. Oh yeah, no, you you come in, you're coming in at a 45, um, and you got to make sure your your engine's on tilt. You're coming in at a 45 to avoid the tail rotor because um, it's legit. Uh, uh, again, that rotor wash can flip that boat. I put anything extra in it uh, into the bow of the boat, and I would lean forward and I'm holding on to the tiller, leaning forward into the boat. You punch through that, and it's a wall. When you get through it, there's dead space. So, so you you've got to you got to make a right hand turn and gun it one more time and tilt your and you're in and you're inside the helicopter. <laughs> it's like uh, by yourself, it's pretty wild to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a new guy, I mean, it's my second platoon mm-hmm. uh, without a workup. So that was that was pretty wild. And that whole so th- those were Air Force Spec Ops guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there was their big uh, um, thing, and it was. Uh, yeah, we did exercises with those guys too in, in the Philippines. Um, you know the uh, the C one thirty that they had, um, it got shot by you know NPA or some farmer that didn't like them flying, serving their yak or what, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, and uh, so it it took a round through and through the plane. We never knew they they landed it, patched it as their exercise, and that thing was back up in the air. <clears throat> When, when, when an Air Force bird, you know, breaks um, and it's in a nice place like Hawaii, you're there for a couple of days. <laughs> we never knew it even got hit. Yeah. You know, and this is training again. I'm not, you know, it, it's, uh, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. Now is this, didn't you fall somehow? Like, a th- oh yeah. What was that all about? <clears throat> Ouch. Just, um, so. Uh, I always went off to uh, um, Joshua Tree uh, um, or I had a while to go climbing on the weekends. You know, uh, Lou Langless, you mm-hmm. know, taught me. We're all in a, um, Andy Rios, Lou, um, who else was in the barracks? Um, you know, go off climbing on the weekends. You know, we, we were still in the barracks in the teams at that time. Um, and so, you know, off camping. And I was a pretty decent climber right off the bat. My, you know, my uncle up in Canada would take me climbing uh, once in a while as a kid, and uh, rare, rarely, but um, I just liked it. And uh, I went up there. No one, no one could go climbing with me. So uh, cool. I just go find somebody when I get up there. So I had the soloist. You know, it's a self belay device. You tie off to the bottom, and as you progress, you keep putting. Um, pro in it's a camming unit um, and I did like a 5.8 and I funny I remember the names of the climbs uh, Mike's books it's on Intersection Rock right there in, uh, in Joshua Tree mm-hmm. and then uh, mm-hmm. I just hung dog this I got to the top set up a, a, a top rope um, making it safer uh, and I just did like a Mike's books like a 5.8 and then the next one was like a 5.11 um, which is above my what I could do I was a 10C-ish climber um, so I just kind of cheated my way up on that, literally, you know, because you can, you can hang it, on your pro, or hang on your whatever. Yeah, well, you just pull on your rope a little mm-hmm. bit because I'm self belaying top rope again. Oh, okay. Um, get to the top, and and uh, you know, th- there's a, a lady that wants to go climbing with me. I'm like, check, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. So I throw my rope down, and uh, and I go do the down climb, and I look up. And there's my rope. It's caught in a crack. All right, I gotta hurry up. I got the four pieces of pro that I set that top rope up with. And I climb up there, get to the rope, put it back through the belay device. And when you're when you're using that soloist, if you're off track, um, 
it drags. So I'm, I'm in this bowl and there's a, uh, there's an overhang, so I gotta reach out and around. Um, and I was doing it, and it's actually a pretty easy climb, it's like a five seven, um, but I didn't feel comfortable with it, and I had no idea what was really up above me. It was really, it was dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so I said, nope, not gonna do it. So I jumped back into that bowl, but I took up the slack, and that one piece of pro that I set in kept my feet from planting, um, but, it popped that pro and I flipped out of there backwards. And I, uh, you know, I'm 40 feet up. And I, I come against the vertical face, I palm the rock, broke my left wrist, um, tucked into a good PLF, and I landed in this sandstone wash and it folded me like a book. <laughs> Separated both my shoulders, um, chipped my ankle, and whatever else. Uh, um, I was a train wreck. Um, and there was a class uh, for guides just uh, 100 feet away, and they got me the rest of the way down. They didn't have far to go. And uh, I called, you know, and the ranger said, hey, you know, we've had a lot of people fall from there. They either land here in the sand, because if I, if I would have pushed off a little bit further, I would have landed in the sand. Probably wouldn't have been happy either. Um, and he said, yeah, they usually live and they land over here or they land where you do and they don't, uh, uh, just by chance I landed right in the middle of the wash. I was tucked into a tight PLF parachute landing fall. Um, you know, just not a recent graduate of, uh, cause this is my, this is before my first platoon. Oh, okay. I was not going to not deploy. Um, so I didn't want to go to 29 palms and get stuck out there. I called Gino up. Gino came, picked me up and, uh, with another team guy. And, uh, you know, I said, yeah, just drop me off at Balboa, I'll get it, you know. And they, you know, did a couple, you know, basically you get into going to Balboa on a Saturday night, what do you got? <laughs> a whole bunch of colds, a whole bunch of, you know, that's what they have for an option to get their kids taken care of. And, uh, and then go up to the nurse. I thought you were going to say, when I've had to go Balboa on like a Saturday, depending on what time, it's like Saturday at two o'clock in the morning. It's like drunk sailors that are oh. gotten <laughs> fights, beat up. It's like such a disaster. No, this this is this is early uh, or late evening. Yeah, so you're uh, all right. They haven't yeah, gotten yeah. drunk enough to get end up in the hospital yet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but but I'm there, and, and uh, uh, the triage nurse, you know, says, uh, "Hey, I'm Ed. You know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I, I fell and I hurt my, you know." I'm banged up. Whatever I said, mm-hmm. it was fill out this clipboard and come back to us. And my neck is jacked up. I can't turn, you know. And I sit down and I start to think about filling it out. But I'm looking, you know, I'm looking like this, you know. I can't turn my head. And I go, I just stand back up. And I said, "Ma'am, um, I fell 40 feet in a rock fall and my neck hurts, sir." Please don't move. And they strapped me into a uh, backboard. Went, you know, X-rayed my neck. Mm-hmm. You know what else hurts? You know, it, this is ten hours after the fall. Everything hurts. Um, and they X-rayed me. They didn't find anything. You know, they didn't X-ray everything. There was more things that hurt than than my wrist and my my ankle. You know, uh, um, but uh, yeah. Um, later on, I found out. Well, so. I went climbing two weeks later with my. This is three weeks before deployment, but I. I had no strength in my left wrist. I didn't know why. Uh, uh, and my little brother wanted to go pre-deployment leave. We went up to Canada, went climbing. You know, um, young kids drive, 
uh, but I deployed in, in, in a, I think a total of three weeks. I got acupuncture like the next day because I could not raise my arms above my head. Uh, you know, but I got acupuncture sticking a needle in my shit from an acupuncture student in Coronado. So that's good. <laughs> it worked. She was, uh, you know, into uh, uh, it. Yeah. yeah, stuck a needle in my hand and my shin, and uh, all of a sudden I could raise my hands uh, above my head. And you know, I, so we went on deployment, and I had to do. We had to do a PRT. Um, and I'll tell you it on camera here. I cheated. I did not do the pull-ups. I kind of cycled around, but I did the run, probably the slowest I ever ran, three miles at that point in my life. But I was able to pass everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, I, so wrestling tournament, the fleet comes into town and uh, um, carrier group. So they all kinds of activities so they don't go out in town and cause trouble, getting, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I'm wrestling in this tournament and I, I re-agitated the break in my wrist in the first match and then in the finals i reseparated my shoulder and uh i yeah i bowed out at that time and happily took second so i kept reseparating my shoulders like every three months one left one of the right one left one of the right one you know uh just a young kid keep mm-hmm. moving forward and uh i was the corpsman but i didn't really know a whole bunch you know so yeah keep moving forward keep going yeah so what'd you get do when you got done with that second platoon at team three so uh second platoon, so in between uh those platoons i screened for for dev group oh okay and uh uh yeah they said we don't want you as a corpsman can you cross rate i said yes because i didn't want to be a corpsman <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> I could have stayed, you know, with more training and all that. Okay, but but I just want to be a you know archiver team guy. You had to cover your own evolutions back then, and I never did because I always found somebody else to cover them. You had to work at it though, and I said I should not have to work to have someone else cover my platoon evolutions. That's just the way it used to be from mm-hmm. moons ago. Um, and, and so I screamed positive. I uh, jumped right into uh, 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 Foxtrot platoon. Uh, did that. The end of their workup really and then jumped right onto the deployment and uh came back from that and young kid and, and, you know uh, we never did a, a cqb workup i made the mistakes i made and uh um then they said you know so i didn't make it through and then where do you want to go and uh you know seal team four uh it, it, just because the reputation and uh um i wanted to get to the east coast you know, so they, I think I put, you know, two and four, and they said they didn't give me whatever I wanted, and I said, let's go, go to four, and, you know, South America. And uh, so I went and did that. And then you, so you show up at Team Four, just back into platoon life. Yep. Um, hey, can you deploy in two weeks? Check. <laughs> Have your, uh, are you a six-gunner? I am now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's your, you're in your third platoon, and you get assigned as a pig gunner. Yep. Uh, uh, well, I mean, dude, as a corpsman, I wanted to carry the pig, the oh, medical yeah. gear, and everything else. You know, again, happy new guy. But so, so yeah, um, I, you know, I, I can work the pig. And so I went out and uh, bought myself some, uh, you know, 200-round uh, pouches and uh, figured out, made some gear up, and off to deployment I went. Um, and uh, yeah, they said, can you be the diver up? Yeah, I could be the diver up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was diving since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I dive. I think I qualified when I was fifteen or sixteen. Very comfortable in the water. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, so so we, I got dengue fever, bad deal. Um, well, so what's the deal with that? Yeah, um, you know, uh, get bit by a mosquito, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I got up to 106.5 temperature. Yeesh. Bad deal. Uh, not at that point though. So we were in Panama, and I got. I didn't know what I had. I was just trashed. You know, uh, um, just hot spikes, um, colds. I mean, can't walking outside just to go put a piece of mail in the mailbox. You know, outside the barracks, and I'm freezing, and it's 98 degrees. Um, and then you know, go back inside in the air conditioning, and I'm just all of a sudden, you know, just up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. But then I got better. So. There's a trip to Columbia. Can I get on there? Yeah, throw them on the bird. <clears throat> when we landed in Barranquilla, um, and they literally kicked our pallet off at the end of the runway because it was a very hot area, um, it just hit again. You know, I got better for like a, a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And um, we go, uh, I can't remember, Trace of Skeeners or something, uh, the town we were in. And my fever got up to 106.5. And, uh, you know, the other new guy, Corman, I wasn't a Corman anymore, but uh, it's like, you feel good? Uh, I think I'll get better in a little bit, you know. But, yeah, I iced in. Luckily, we were there with the SBU guys, and uh, um, they brought an air conditioner. You know, we put an air conditioner in the building we're in. We're talking one dirt road town, Mm -hmm. you know, that tees into the river. And, uh yeah, that was. Uh, Does dengue f- fever stick with you for the rest of your life? Like, uh, not, not. You don't get this. Um, if you get it again, it's supposed to be really, really bad. Uh, but no, it's not like malaria. Um, but man, it takes forever to recover. So on that trip, it was a month long trip. Um, so well, this is why I don't like freaking travel, bro. I'll stay right here. Well, I don't like leaving America. <laughs> My wife's always like, hey, let's go to this place. I'm like, Dude. no. Well, how about, you want to go somewhere? Panama's. How about freaking Northern California? How about, you know, how about we go to Temecula? How's that sound? Yeah. Hey, she wants hey. to go to some foreign place. <laughs> Bro, I did all that. Yeah. I, and I didn't get dengue fever, and I don't want to get it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bad deal. Um, no, from 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 SEAL Team Four, I've known somebody that's had everything. Like yeah, leishmaniasis. So, yeah, uh, so back in the day, in in the nineties, well, even before that, the teams were geographically oriented. So, SEAL Team One was Southeast Asia. SEAL Team Two was Europe. SEAL Team Three was supposed to be Southwest Asia. SEAL Team Four was South America, and SEAL Team Four, you know, had had done the stuff in Panama, had lost guys in Panama, had. You know the the combat experience really right, right. of the of the era, um, so I can imagine that probably played into your mindset of wanting to go to Team Four and and if Spanish speakers were right. going to Team Four, right? And, and I mean there was still you know um, all the snow cap ops that they were legit doing you know uh, whether it was just you know uh, sitting on a mountaintop with a radio or getting involved with the DA. I mean that was happening, mm-hmm. um, and, and this was one of those gigs where we were going in and training these folks, and then we were gonna go in as a radio relay. Um, so at the end, we were going in as a radio relay, except we walked an insane amount. And um, and I'm the 60 gunner, Oof. and I'm weak as snot from, from dengue fever. And uh, um, sun up to sundown, we did ridiculous so it's not it was not through the jungle it was through um the edges of open fields that had all these um 
lava rocks, you know, softball size, mm-hmm. a little bigger, smaller. To get into Columbia at that time frame, the Marines controlled the mill group. So to get access to the country, you had to go through the Marines. The Marines were trying to build the riverine assault teams, the rat teams. So you had to take a Marine fighting force with you. You know, an 01, you know, a uh, uh, staff sergeant, and, uh, you know, a corporal. Um, so we tagged on, and yeah, two stayed back. And what, you had your platoon? Right. So or did you have a squad, or how, how many guys um, did you have? Th- this was a squad. Okay. But but then we had all the SBU guys, and we were, we're so we were training, the SBU guys was training their folks up, and we were training our folks up, and, and uh, you know, we were in the middle of 30 dudes, um, you know, plus on this uh, hike. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, we never saw anything, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, we went in, the dry hole, uh, and, and back out. This Marine uh, Lieutenant, read a book where seals don't wear socks. Uh, and uh, that dude's feet were has wrapped. Just trash. Yeah, bad, bad, bad deal. Yeah. How uh, far of a hump was it? Ridiculous. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was, I, it was like 20 clicks. We walked from sun, before sundown, we did two hours in the daylight through the night and then came up two hours after, uh, and we never stopped. We got there, dry yeah. hole, turn around, go. You know, it, the it, foot but it was thing, open field. You the know, foot thing like twenty k. You got to condition your feet for oh, yeah. that, like right. a lot. And then there is some advantages to it because socks hold water, and if you're like working right. in the jungle, you can get used to it, and you can be a good thing. But if you roll out for your first time, no socks on a yeah, twenty but, click but, hump. But team bro. guys were doing that because they weren't walking anywhere. Yeah, that's that's another. They, they, it's like, they're literally. I mean, swimming up the edge uh, of the, the stream or the river, mm-hmm. you know, 50 uh, uh, tops yards, if not 50 feet, um, doing the hit and back in the water again. Yeah. There was reason for it. Um, th- this was known to be a long walk. Yeah, that's uh, gonna uh, be and, a problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, his feet were n- not serviceable. So you're, d- you're down there, how many platoons are you, do you end up doing at Team 4? Uh, Three and one of the, one of these platoons, you meet your wife, right? Uh, in between, actually. Okay. Well, how'd that go down? Yeah, uh, EOD's uh, explosive ordnance disposal guy, married to a uh, Spanish lady. My, Liliana was up in Virginia Beach, uh, learning English. No kidding. And uh, yeah, so so I, I, and I was trying to learn Spanish. You know, I took a couple little you know classes on it, but uh, um, so I you know. Yeah, it was perfect. You well, know, well, and, and how did she get to be, come to Virginia Beach to learn Spanish? She to knew learn English. Funny, she knew uh, another team guy's wife, um, and was going to stay with them. Ended up staying w- with uh, Cheese uh, Branquizio mm-hmm. and and, uh, and his wife, and then, however, uh, uh, the EOD guy and his wife introduced us. Yeah, and uh-huh. she's from where? Venezuela. Okay. Yep. So she's got an interesting viewpoint on the oh, way things go down yeah. from a governmental perspective. <laughs> yes, she does. You see what happened to her? No, country. she sees it's coming here, man. She sees it's coming here, and uh, um, yeah, uh, we'll get into it later, I'm sure. But definitely the big push to do this thing that we're doing now. Yeah, that's got to be crazy. Um, yeah. So you end up, so you end up getting married to her. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, we got, we got married, and uh, you know, I was always trying to 
not get married because I liked exactly what I do because I was always in a platoon, you know, and uh, um, and at this point, you know, um, still happy to be in a platoon. Our first, you know, first six months of marriage was all, you know, I was on a platoon, I was on deployment. <laughs> uh, get back from that, and at that point, we still had training um, at the teams. at the teams, yeah. and uh, and so. Team four, it used to just be rotate out, do a stint in training, and then back. I mean, it was, it was really a crazy quick handover. Team four, you know, this is just before we started putting it to the groups. And team four said, no, you're in training for 18 months, uh, which is right. I didn't have to like it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I was in training, and Mar Ops, I was like, you know, and, 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 and diving. I was like, not what I want, but, but I made it. Uh, what I ended up doing with it is, is training it into, you know, even though there, we had turnover, which was, uh, you know, minimal turnover in platoons back then too. So we had a, a lot of folks could just do things. You know, you could do ops right at the beginning of platoon workup. It wasn't going to be perfect, but they'd figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I took um, my ops and basically we ended up doing um, some down pilots with it. Uh, and, and other things we, you know, I was any five and they just needed somebody in there. They could, you know, cause there wasn't any live fire in it. Uh, although I did end up putting it in there, uh, uh, with, uh, Pat, the, the, uh, the guy running the, the, the diving portion, you know, we were doing some sniper shots with, uh, diving our gear and doing some pretty complicated, uh, um, you know, we'd get the, um, Coast Guard involved, or the auxiliary, which really is your personal boat. You know, a bunch of older older dudes that that just want to do good with their personal boat, and doing indigenous. You know, we had a blast doing down to North Carolina and doing a live fire shot. You know, um, in town. Um, you know, two E fives. You had to bring us a chief on board to um, certify the shot was good and safe and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But we were just, you know, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it was good. You know, made. Uh, you know, Admiral Winters got involved with it. He was the, the, the captain, the team captain at the time, and he loved it, and he loved the brief because I was always doing these curveballs in there, just not, not straight on. You get to have a happy, successful training mission. You know, there's always a, a curveball, and I, he wanted, you know, I briefed it that way, and we did it that way, and uh, he actually had his brother who's, uh, I think, uh, he, Navy pilot, you know, a 14 pilot at the time, I think, be the down pilot for us one time. You know, we're doing a bunch of stuff out in town um, instead of just around the base and, mm-hmm. and you know, m- turning rectangles and triangles out in the ocean. We, we actually were doing ops. We went out to Ches Light, you know, over the horizon, launched off the old piece, uh, uh, the PCs, mm-hmm. and over the horizon, over the beach into Back Bay, and all it was seventy-five nautical miles, and actually did a pilot recovery in uh, the intercoastal waterways on a piece of property that I was going to buy, and then later on a property that I bought, um, had them do reconnaissance on it, uh, um, and uh, just tried it. You know, uh, um, it wasn't going to be regular old yeah. Mar ops. Yeah, that's that's what it takes is guys that are going to take the training and just step it up to the next level. That's always what's yeah. awesome about and, the teams. And the next folks took it. Even higher than that for me. Yep. And that's the idea. You know, always better, 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 uh, without getting too many crazy drift into it. Then you end up you end up going to DLI, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my shoulders were getting really bad. Um, you know, I literally couldn't move. You know, 
like refrigerator magnets around anymore. And uh, so I went out there and rehabbed. You know, that was the idea. The rehab's right there on the. Did base. you have to get surgery? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, 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 I didn't Both get surgery. The, yeah, they wouldn't do it. Um, I wanted to do it right off that deployment, and um, they wouldn't do it. They wanted me to do rehab first, and I got orders to DLI for the basic and the intermediate. And I went out there with this is ninety seven ish, eight something like that, um, and uh, um, yeah, it, taking her out there without fast computers and these you know phones you can talk to to translate for you. I mean, DLI's six and a half hours of Spanish a day, every day, um, and four hours of homework a night, uh, and uh, it, legit. I mean, I can I I can speak, and uh, definitely with you know my mother-in-law living in her house at some various points, and father-in-law. I mean, I got it down. And would uh, your wife speak Spanish to you all all the time when you got home from DLI? Yeah, like, I mean, so she spoke better English uh, when we met than I spoke Spanish. So our natural language together was English. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like the go-to when my brain got tired. Mm-hmm. But but uh, yeah, for the most part, I could say, hey, how do you say this? You know, uh, instead of, you know, um, looking it up in the dictionary and figuring out how to, because you couldn't, right now you can just talk to your phone yeah. and it'll tell you. So so that was, and that was cool. It took you about four months to get it to click where you can actually go out and, and see, you know, uh, um, you know Monterey and, and everything else out there. Um, but man, that, that, that was a great experience. And it was just us, no kids, you know, us and a dog. When you're, spe- when you're speaking Spanish now, do you think in Spanish? I can, yeah, yeah. I have, I don't speak it as much as I used to. I am we right now. My mother in law is living with us, so it's it's back in the game again. Because uh, does she speak any English? She does. It's just it's never clicked with her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's older, and uh, she's always taken the, the the classes. I mean, genuine effort. Mm-hmm. It's just not clicking. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but she can't, and she can get along, but. She wants her brain to rest. Yeah. You know, if you go when you go to a foreign country and you are trying to speak in their language uh, to whatever degree you can, it's tiring. Uh, um, and uh, I mean, I've I can speak, you know, to the Cabo, to the Corporal, and I can speak to the, you know, uh, Secretary of State uh, uh, in Spanish, and, and I have, you know, so it's varying degrees of Spanish, you know. Uh, what's the MOJJ? Ministerio de Justicia and Gobierno. It's like the Secretary of State and uh, Secretary of uh, Justice uh, all wrapped into one dude. And, you know, as a, a chief, um, you get to talk to these folks and you're talking about how to develop, you know, ranges in Panama or wherever. Um, but, man, at the end of the day, your brain is tired. Because uh-uh. all the colloquialisms for the different countries, um, they all come into play. You say one thing in one country that, that means something else in another, another country, and you can get yourself in trouble. You know, but, but it's a whole different animal once you get to speak. Uh, but uh, So the total time at DLI was, what was the total time at DLI learning Spanish? Uh, Ten months. Yeah, I graduated the, the basic class early because the intermediate class was, was going to overlap. And so I jumped into that. And then, uh, um, again, it's just us two and, and a dog and a cat eventually. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, drove back across the country um, and uh, said, hey, my shoulders are trashed. So we cut on, uh, cut on both shoulders seven weeks apart. Um, just as soon as I gained enough function with uh, 
my left hand, um, you know, they did the right one or, or whichever mm-hmm. one it was. Um, and I've had it tuned up since. I had another one done a few years ago. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's an ongoing problem. <laughs> and, we're, and then obviously you go back to Team Four after you get done with DIY. Yeah, I went back to Team Four, um, and, and uh, yeah, I went into. Uh, and Echo. you're a chief now? No, okay. uh, no. Um, first class, maybe. First class. Okay. No, second class. I was not. Not a rate grabber. I was not a. I, I was happy where I was. I mean, I, it was uh, um, happy with the leadership, you know, and uh, I'm not always completely happy. But uh, I always say it. Um, yeah, you know, you really shouldn't be. If you're happy with what's going on, hey, uh, and it's working. You're a team. Um, be happy with it. Uh, but when you finally decide at the end that you're not happy with it, it's kind of too late. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an E5, and now you go back to. Team four, yeah, and then jumping into another platoon. Your shoulders healed healed up enough. Um, so I was in Echo platoon, knowing that I was going to get the surgery. They were uh, a CD counter drug platoon, you know, doing stuff mostly in the Caribbean. And um, the mass chief said, "Yeah, hey, we we broke you. We'll fix you." And, and it was just the with the idea, hey, um, you know, Ed squared away. He'll do the paperwork, whatever. Stick in the background. I got the sur- surgeries done. You get a month. Um, convalescent leave and I you know uh, I literally they did the surgeries without any anesthesia just just the um, the, the nerve block mm. off the table and went to the team you know to, to give them whatever paperwork and check them I, I was just an ex, you know I was excited that the chief said that mm-hmm. and I never took leave um, I just wanted to get signed up to start my uh, physical therapy I did physical therapy twice a day at work it, it, our our medicals right in the middle of the compound and I'd get a full session um, and then I would get uh, um, like a partial session and then I brought my wife in they taught her how to do all the exercises I built a pulley at home uh, you know to pull my arm up and down I built a fingerboard so you can climb the wall with your fingers mm-hmm. and uh, I mean six months you know I did the PRT Yeesh. And uh, legit though, you know, they cut, so they did a fully open, they did rock blazes um, the same week, same doctor, and they did his, they scoped his, um, but mine were pretty much kind of collarbones were tent stakes and, you know, kind of big pieces of cauliflower. So you wanted to get his big hands in there and trim them down. So they remove your deltoid. Um, And uh, I'm awake and they have a Makita drill. (laughs) Check. And they drill two holes at 90 degrees to each other and then lasso that thing and tie your deltoid back down. Um, so, so it's because they want to get in there and see it all. Mm-hmm. And six months later, uh, uh, PRT with, with uh, you know, uh, a very stern mass chief there that's very strict on pull-ups. Um, I, uh, yeah, 26 pull-ups, 105 push-ups, the whole swim, everything. So you were pretty much good to go six months later. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was tuned up and ready to go. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, into the platoon, you know, I, I, I even built, uh, you know, uh, before the all the cool Conics box, workout boxes, mm-hmm. I uh, went over to SDV and got them to weld some stuff up, weld a bench that would collapse up and fit in one of those uh, ISU 90s. 
nice. you know, built, built a pull-up bar to go across the uh, the doors when you open it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, you should have patented that stuff. Yeah, buddy. Hey, you know, team guys are pretty innovative. Oh, you know, yeah, uh, sure. Dane, a guy in my second platoon, you know, he kind of invented uh, the the Camelback. Mm-hmm. You know, but what, he did. what do you use? Like an IV bag or something? What he used uh, a uh, two quart collapsible canteen and okay. an IV uh, tube. You know, and had it on his back. Uh, but hey, you know, you can, it's cool to come up with the idea. There's yeah. innovation, you know, it, 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 inventiveness and innovation. You got to get it to market. Yeah, baby. well, there's, yeah, there's execution too. Because yeah. you got to be able to actually do it, yeah. actually make it happen. Right. I always, you know, um, this sounds so obvious now, but I was a radio man, right? Yeah. And so when I was carrying the radio, I'd have my little flashlights and the regular double A flashlights, little double A flashlights. You put yeah. the red lens over them, you tape them all up, so you'd be like a, like a little pin, like a little pinhole of light. Right, 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 right. But still, you got to worry about the batteries. I mean, you do go like on a four day recon, you your batteries are gonna. You, so it's a pain. And I remember looking at the pilots with their lip lights, just the right. little LEDs. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what that thing is. And then by the time the war started, someone made those little just LED click flashlights. I was right. like, oh, that's the smartest thing ever. Yeah. And I had two ideas in my freaking head, and they didn't z- z- connect together right. to say, hey, man, it's real obvious. Here's a cool little flashlight you could use and, and make it into like something everybody could carry. Yeah. You know, and t- until, until somebody comes up with a limpet backpack. Team guys were swimming with this bomb with magnets on their in their hands. You know, I've seen the drawings of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Rico, uh, um, he uh, uh, and I think you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. You know, he uh, uh, invented the limpet backpack. No Simple idea. Yeah. You know, uh, where well, this a, team- a, a backpack that with a metal plate in it that you stuck this limpet explosive mine on it and when you would swim with it on your back yeah it seems so obvious so obvious because somebody invented it yeah uh the chest seal the asherman chest yeah team guy yeah Yeah. made this thing that everybody carries now and it it seems kind of obvious but you know it's everybody was happy with a glove yeah you know your id card card. card. that's what i always taught as an emt yeah what a brilliant thing yeah um not everybody comes up well. Sometimes you come up with a great idea. So you so you made your ISU ninety. You're you're out there. You're out Get, ready you know, to work out of a box. Yep. And, and uh, you know back with a platoon again. You know tuned up and uh, and you guys are doing counter drug. What was that deployment like? So was it just a bunch of little deployments? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they had the CD money, you know, and then you named everything you bought was a counter drug stapler, you know, counter. <laughs> 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 you know, it's a different pot of money, right? And, and you're going down, and, and uh, you doing recons. You, what are you no, doing? No, we're we're just working with the locals. Uh, it, it's it's really fit for an internal Got defense, it. really. Just getting them tuned up and and huge some huge exercises, and, uh, like w- we would island hop for some of them, and uh, you know, do you know the navy? Uh, the army has more sh- commission ships yeah. than the navy, yeah. uh, which is pretty wild. The, the, our army's a big machine. You know, is uh, it still like that? I don't know. Someone said it's not, uh, uh, and I no desire to yeah. confirm it or not. But it's just a wild stat. They it's have more helicopters wild, yeah. in the Air Force. Yep. I mean, they're a monster. They're, a monster. they're, they're huge. Uh, the big green machine. So we would island hop um, on their uh, LSU two thousand, just a big giant landing craft, and we'd get off there and go stay in a hotel and go teach. You know, uh, and uh, 
And then another year we went to Belize and they had us staying in the middle of a soccer field with countries, you know, and, and a line of outhouses, uh, not as nice. Uh, uh, Belize, the islands, you know, vacation land, inland, different animal. Um, and uh, that was wild, you know. The, the, there were some countries that did not want to be there and they just wanted the gear and they weren't there because they were told. And, and uh, you know, that was like a hurricane disaster um, giant exercise where, where you know you know terrorists take over the the local school while you know everything's going on and and uh huge monster exercise my first uh my first bout with killer bees you know uh have you ever done seen the uh, uh, swarm of killer bees i think i've no actually no i've i've driven remember in san diego for a while echo charles there was like bees <laughs> like so yeah i've driven through sure. some swarms of bees mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it was quite the murder wasp or whatever those things were. Right. But no, I've not dealt with actual legit killer bees, no. Cloud just coming really? across. And uh, um, yeah, one guy just screamed, get in the vehicle or lay down flat. And this cloud came over the entire field and then just went away. It was the craziest thing. Did I, anyone get attacked? No one got hit uh, significant that I remember. It was just the weirdest thing. Um, but that happened. So they weren't really living up to the rep. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we were in we were in Colombia once and and actually doing you know kind of something you know uh, uh, going in you know uh, and uh, the locals sat down on a hive, an underground you know ground hive, and jumped up and ran and left all their guns. And I don't, you know, it, literally, I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was a cloud again. And, uh, um, and we're, in, we're in a bad spot, actually. You can't be without your gun. Uh, uh, and uh, so I've got- Unless you're getting attacked by bees, then you said hell. <laughs> but it's also where these guys live. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, um, yeah, just outside of Cartagena, uh, um, we're, we're, you know, they, they take the, the mothership down that's, you know, it's a sandbagged big giant ferry uh, and they take it down and in and then go in and, and uh, um, it's bad guy land. Don't drop your gun, but they did. Uh, uh, and so I've got my beekeeper's hat that I, you know, when you want to relax in the jungle, mm-hmm. um, you throw that beekeeper's hat oh, on. So it's nice. your turn to relax. It's uh, so nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah don't so like breathing nice. the air back in on me, but hey, I'll take it. You know, and I've got my gloves and I got the, you know, um, the tips cut off of uh, um, index finger and thumb and and, and middle finger. And so Ed's going to go get the guns. And I've got my hands clenched hiding those little exposures. As soon as I reached out to grab one of the rifles, um, I got whack, 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 whack. It was a crate there. They are just honed in. And we smoked the area too to kind of try and calm them down. The idea was, I don't know how much it worked, but uh, yeah, legit. Um, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> so what happens you get done with Appleton? So um, I got to fix my air, you know, uh, and I'm going, I'm going back to green team. And uh, yeah, a lot going on in the household at that time. Um, I was building a house uh, and I had drafting and, like a half a semester in ninth grade. So I drew the complete plans to a house. Um, and uh, yeah, um, 
Not a great plan. Uh, the, the house plan was great. Uh, uh, <laughs> the green so, team plan, not so much. Not at the, not at the same time. You know, her dad was sick in the house. So we had our, our first child. Um, you know, was, was being born all at the same time, and uh, you know, we're out at, at Shaw's doing a CQB, and I'm you know everybody's taking a nap, and I'm talking to the plumber who's trying to put a bathroom in the closet. You know, literally. You know, uh, <laughs> you know. The city held us up back because, you know, um, the city employees disagreed with the the guy with Ph.D. in dirt and said the septic field had to be this. And so it held everything back. Uh, And I'm doing this. I got 110 days leave that I took to do this thing. And I'm doing it in in blocks. You know, I'm relinquishing, um, you know, what I'm doing uh, at SEAL Team 4. And just... You know, set a trip up, do the trip, take some, take two weeks of leave, uh, and just knocking it out. Because uh, I'm talking, I'm digging the foundation. I'm, you know, uh, you know, I've cut trees down, milled the trees. I built the cabinets. I built from scratch the stairwell. You know, all the all the cabinets, all the window trim on the second, first, and second floor. Um, it cost a hundred and eighty ish thousand to build it, and, and uh, it appraised for seven twenty. Uh, sold it the next year when I'm up in, uh, um, or several years later. Um, so I refinanced it uh, when I moved to Maine because I didn't want to have two home loans. And uh, yeah, so I did the refi for seven twenty. Sold it the next year for six ten. Uh, put it on the market that day and sold in a in a day, a half a day. Um, so I did very well with the house, but smashing everything together, green team and the sun, you know. Tommy being born and, and uh, um, yeah, I went home to see him. He actually heard his birth over the phone mm-hmm. and then flew uh, into to, you know make sure everything's all good. I was supposed to try and be there, uh, but on the plane, you know, pre nine eleven, uh, yeah, not, not a great plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it worked out. You yeah. Know? So uh, where'd you go after that? Uh, SDV two. Did you want to go to SDV? Yeah. <laughs> We were told we were going to be the snipers for all group two. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, you, you said you heard that too. <laughs> Got to tell all the group two oh. first. Uh, uh, <laughs> all kinds of interesting things. Yeah. Uh, you know, SDV is awesome. Went to the SDV school, uh, um, which every, everybody there gets qualified to, to, to drive that. And uh, uh, even though the plan was to be in the backs, just to get out of it and go do something and come back. Um, but uh, neat to go to the school, learn learn all of that. Um, I did a platoon there. You know, the war kicked off, um, and uh, we ended up. No one from the East Coast was going. You know, uh, uh, you know, we deployed with Team Two, and I think they sent a squad. You know, uh, at, at four they sent a squad to Afghanistan, and, and uh, no one was going. Um, and we went to Kosovo. And we were doing reconnaissance there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was some of it was a little sketchy. We we're getting to use some cameras and do some things. We were looking for some specific people. You know, some of it was walking around town, plain closed, uh, uh, which you know we really hadn't had anything at, at that point to just be a team guy. You know, in a foreign country. You know, uh, that was easy enough. And really, just were you at SDV when when September 11th happened? Yes, okay. uh, six hundred yard line and getting out of the van at sniper school, uh, and that uh, so you you were going through sniper school. Yep. 
So when you heard that SDV was going to be a snipers there. for everybody, you yeah. said, oh, if I go there, I can go to sniper school? They said, you will go to sniper school um, right away. And, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, sniper school, I won't say it was easy because uh, it's not. Uh, it's very difficult. But our workups at Team 4 were basically a lot of it was, especially the, the basic warfare part, um, was mini sniper school. Mm -hmm. um, really good marksmen, really getting after it. You know, the month uh, of field craft, you know, uh, and then another month of land warfare, and then you get it all over again, back going back into the jungle. Um, that that field craft that you need at sniper school was all there. All, all the math was there for the shooting. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all taught to us over and over and over and over again. So, um, yeah, I missed Honor Man by a half a point. For sniper school? Yes. <laughs> That's a bummer. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, a little bit of love-hate relationship there because I was always trying to get um, the guys on the reconnaissance side more reconnaissance work mm -hmm. and, and not SDV support stuff, you know. Um, so then I became the LPO for all of it, you know, the whole task unit, and I had to shift and uh, be nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're, you, you you fight for your squad, you yeah. fight your, for your platoon. So you, you were like a task. recce squad, squad. Yes. And you were the LPO of the recce squad at right. first, and, and then, then you became the rec the LPO of everything. Yeah, the whole task unit. And uh, that was a good shift, too. Did uh, you guys go on deployment somewhere? Yeah, we went to Spain. Uh, and, and from Spain, we went to Kosovo, uh, you know, for whatever it was, a couple of months, uh, just doing reconnaissance. But this we is post-September 11th. Post-September 11th. Uh, so we, you're freaking yeah. chomping at the bit. Like, like, I went back to a team to, you know, go help out where help was needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, that should have been uh, where the war was. Uh, and uh, it was not happening. It wasn't happening for the East Coast for a while. Mm -hmm. The onesies, twosies. Um, and then... Uh, then, then uh, a buddy of mine was running the sniper school, uh, uh, good, solid stone. Um, and he said, yep, you come here and we will send you over as soon as an opportunity, you know. Uh, so I went, went uh, um, you know, be the scout course manager and eventually the, the sniper course manager. Oh, right on. Manage the compound. Uh, and, yeah, first opportunity, you know, deployed uh, to Afghanistan, took my whole you know, crazy sniper suite with me and, uh, 37 weapons. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, you know, yeah, you, you're, you're, you're Mark 11, you're Mark 12, you're, you know, you're, you're 10 inch upper, you're, you're 16 inch upper, you're 300 wind mag, you're 50 cal sniper rifle, you know, you, yeah, you're freaking, you're Mark 23. Uh, yeah. Name something else. And what'd you, what, who'd you attach to when you got over there? SEAL team two and the siege of soda, right on. you know, and I would just try and get out on everything I could get out on. Uh, you know, I ended up, ended up doing a lot of briefing too. You know, it wasn't as, as you know cool as mm -hmm. what I you know was expecting. But uh, you should have stayed in E five, is what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it was uh, you know, um, but you know, I, I learned a ton, uh, and uh, you know, it was happy to get out there and support and be part of it. And, and uh, it's it's a wildlife experience, you know, um, but. Uh, yeah, came back from that and uh, finished up at, at, at Snipers. I, I'll tell you what, teaching folks and, and you know working the, with the cadre, that, that's a wild, wild experience too because our sniper school is, is legit. Our sniper school is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then and our got, snipers are awesome. 
Oh yeah, no, uh, you know Brian Sargent came on board, you know, uh, shortly after I got back from, uh, and took over the, the uh, sniper school, and uh, that was awesome. We just take it took it to crazy levels. Um, we were getting some hundred percent graduation rates, which had never been done before. Usually, lose ten percent per the major graded evolutions, and we were. How did you guys get it to one hundred percent? We learned how to teach better, mm-hmm. and uh, we we made sure the cadre was on the students. Uh, you know, but we learn how to talk, to, you know, uh, you know, don't think I'm being soft it, I, it, in the yeah, affirmative. Listen, man, I'm going to tell you right now, Brian Sargent's one of my, you know, longest friends in the teams. Yeah. And I know for a fact he was not being soft <laughs> on shit. He, he's not soft on anything. No, he's not uh, soft on himself and he's not soft on anybody else. So nope, if legit. he's saying somebody did it, they did it a hundred percent. And, 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 uh, yeah, learning, learning how to talk to people right, you know, assigning the right instructor, the right students. I and mean, we had the one-eyed sniper, you know. Uh, oh, uh, Adam Brown? Adam Brown got, got shot in his dominant eye. Uh, and what does a team guy decide to do when he gets shot in his dominant shooting eye? I'm going to go to sniper school. Mm-hmm. And let's see if he's trying to get his eye healed, you know. Uh, uh, and so we did teach him how to shoot left-handed. Hydro was became his, you know, who, who's a freak of a human uh, mm-hmm. fighting uh, brain cancer right now. Um, but a freak of a human and a crazy instructor and taught the dude to shoot iron sights left-handed and smoked it. But he he cleaned the, uh, um, the shooting test for, you know, with the scoped rifles, both of them, I believe. That's awesome. You know, you're talking out to a thousand yards, uh, um, just pinging on steel. Uh, it's incredible to watch. And, and, you know, snaps and movers out to 800 yards um, with a 300 wind mag at the time. It was incredible, you know. But, but Patch, you know, Hydro found what, what he needed to say, how he needed to say it to him, you know. Uh, um, and, and Hydro's always um, someone that's on top of the students too. You know, he's not going to leave them and go have a sidebar with a couple of instructors, figure out what they're going to do tonight. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and the instructors, you know, a lot of them really wanted to. You know, it, it's not as hard as it was when I was in. And I go, yeah, dude, it's harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you're just instructing better, and, and uh, so we. <laughs> We made up the, uh, um, this test uh, that wasn't graded, but we we were under the training command. It, you get three strikes, and we don't think that's right for sniper school because you can't have a third <laughs> third strike in a sniper shot. And so we had you know a guy that made it uh, you know his third third time every time. We made up an exercise, basically brief the students in the morning. Hey, pull your rifles out. This is what you're doing. We're gonna put you in a, an urban hide. And the base was awesome. The base worked with us so incredible on everything. I had a 20 foot bullet trap made on a trailer, mm-hmm. six and a half foot tall. Um, I made two of them um, that you could back together, get a 40 foot runner. So I would drive around the base and we had all the SDVs worked out, SDZ, uh, SDZs worked mm-hmm. out, um, where uh, they would shoot a blank I would back the trailer up to where the blank was shot, and I would go stand next to the target and load a live round. And I would stand there with my binos, three, two, one, execute. And so we had to have trust that student would not hit the windowsill, not hit the fence of the tree that he was weak. This was short shots, 100, 150 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, sniper, easy shots. But not when you're under pressure. 
uh, and uh, not for whatever you did the night before, the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to be able to tell, you know, uh, parent command, say, hey, yeah, he did it. He passed everything, but let's, let's you know, uh, let's take a second look at it. He's not safe enough to do this evolution. And so I don't know where that went. We did it when I was there. I don't know where it went to after So where that. are you standing with your binos? Is this shot Right next going? to the target. Like like two feet away from yeah. the target? Yeah. Yeah, that's a high level of trust right there. Yeah. I did it all day. <laughs> <laughs> They're our, my students. Yeah. Right? And our They're snipers my, are freaking awesome, man. Yeah. And you're not, I mean, so these guys are already qualified on the weapons at this point. Um, they've got some stocks to do. And, you know, they got like 50 cal week to do. Mm-hmm. They're really qualified on the weapon. It's just whether the, the question was, can that guy, when we want him to do it, make the shot first time every time? You know, because that's what you want for our snipers. But they were my students. And, and so um, I had to have the confidence in them to, that they would do it. And I did. And uh, it was, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Sniper schools, you know, morphed throughout the years. It's all kind of just about the same. Everybody tries to take it up to another notch and, and make it better. You're always fighting with a parent command that wants more snipers through. And, uh, you know, but we'll always do it without lowering the standard. Yeah, the. I mean, obviously, I I had a I had thirteen snipers in when I was a task unit commander, and like, what a blessing from God to have thirteen snipers in the Battle of Ramadi. I mean, you just can't it you just can't ask for anything else. So, and the performance was epic. You know, the the way the guys shot. I mean, I had guys take shots at at enemy fighters holding children. Um, right. You know, like. And and use, using children as human shields, yeah, uh, and those kind of shots, shots through windows, uh, through vehicle windows, and just hitting the driver and right. no one else in the vehicle, like just awesome, unbelievable professionalism from the snipers. It was just outstanding. And you know, I always say, when you start when you look at the schools that we run, it's what you talked about earlier. You know, when you were run Marops. you're like, hey, how can I take this to the next level? How can we do a little bit better? How can I get more people more squared away? When you look at seal breachers like the yeah. breaching school is just awesome the sniper school is awesome just the, the anything that you take a seal and you put them you let us run a course it's just going to get good we're just going to get better it's just constantly trying to improve and that's such a benefit for our community it's one of the best things about our community oh yeah the idea that um the peer pressure that you're not going to let the standard drop and that you are gonna provide something that they've never had before. And it, I mean, your reputation in the teams is all you have. I don't care what you did yesterday. You, you do something stupid today, everybody's gonna remember you for that. Yep. You know, and, and if you slack off and you get, you know, um, you make an easy training for, you know, jungle warfare, um, you're gonna get called on it. Uh, I mean, that, those trainings that we got, all of them, They've all been taken up another notch. And, uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge as a leader is to make sure they don't, you know, get out of the lane too yeah, much. Yeah. That instructor drift. Yeah. Making stuff a little bit too crazy. Kind of happen from time to time, you yeah. know. Um, so you wrap up your time at sniper school. What's next? Um, then I'm off to uh, off to Maine. Ah, you yeah. finally get to, you finally, <laughs> finally get that goal. Well, I hadn't had shore duty in you know what uh, became 21 years a little bit, um, and so uh, and I'm I'm kind of broken at this point too. You know, uh, ton of weight gain. You know, couldn't figure that out. 
Um, like how much weight gained? I was up to two seventy five ish. Dang, was that does that ish mean two eighty three or <laughs> could be? You know, uh, uh, it, I just couldn't figure it out. My, my gut quit working. The anthrax vaccine, you know, um, that was a series of six shots, and all of a sudden, like I can have one beer, um, and I really didn't figure it out. We all went. We all went on the the, the Atkins, the Fatkins diet, I call it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, when we went to Kosovo and uh, on that deployment, so I wasn't having any uh, gluten, you know. And when we got back, we went to. Uh, and what what effect did the did the Atkins diet have on you? Did you shred off a bunch of fat? We, we got crazy strong, uh, um, and, and uh, I didn't know what was going on at the time. So, and that was for several months did you lose fat though on the atkins diet diet, probably i just noticed we got really strong okay Uh, um i mean no real notice to the losing crazy amounts of weight that's the purpose of that i mean that guy atkins made that diet for i lost fat we grant you know we're eating meat and fat Mm -hmm. Uh, not to say that we followed it very strictly as far as i mean the whole percentages and all that Uh, um like i'm for the keto diet I'm, Mm -hmm. i'm i'm like a keto kook and I'm rigid uh, but definitely no bread you know no mm-hmm. gluten no beer no nothing no mm-hmm. pasta we go to Germany um, and did uh, you feel so you feel good too feel good okay uh, um, and then we go to Germany the de, you know decompress debrief and uh, out comes the Hefeweizen <laughs> out for some pasta and beers Yeesh. and boobling in Germany and uh, I didn't even make another restaurant I just started going, even, and uh, um, <clears throat> it basically shuts my gut down. And <clears throat> it was years. We didn't, you know, I wouldn't got my gut checked out. Yeah, yeah, a little ulcer in there, you know. Um, yeah, still stress. I don't know, you know. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and I just kept throwing up all the damn time. It, it, it uh, and gaining weight. And I'm eating healthy, you know. I'm not drinking. I'm, I'm working out like a nut. And I'm just puffing up. The joints are getting, you know, head's getting foggy. But at this point, you're eating uh, normal food. Normal, regular, healthy American diet. You know, Uh, um, meat and potatoes, salad, you know, Mm -hmm. pasta, uh, you know, and and just couldn't. But but it's all healthy. A ton of fruit. And what are you walking around at right now, weight-wise? Right now, 205. So you went to 70 Pounds heavier yeah. than this. Oh Damn. yeah, plus yeah. Uh, um, and this is when you get orders to go up to Maine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was I was gonna stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. Those, you those were. extra layers. Uh, uh, still, I mean, it's still strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but the swelling started, you know, um, with the joints and everything like that. You know, it. I mean, I'm dumbbell pressing 145s. I mean, mm-hmm. I was still freaky strong. Um, and that's that's picking up off the ground, sitting back. And then sitting back up again and sitting back in the racks, legit, mm-hmm. you know, press. Um, That's funny because I always drop those whatever. If we're over one twenty, they're getting dropped. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> Can't just me. Do it. Respect yeah. to the dumbbells. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, and, and no, um, it wasn't until I don't know, maybe. So so we're, we're talking ninety nine. We got the anthrax vaccines, and they cut mine off at the fifth shot. They never gave me the sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, they just stopped doing it because it was causing a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, apparently, it was a lawsuit too. Um, a lot of aviators st- had to stop flying. Um, but what it did to me? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I got it. No, no factor. I never noticed. Yeah, it, no. So know? people are different, you know. Uh, yeah. um, and 
uh, yeah, it, it uh, definitely something there that caused something different for me. I think I got it when I went into boot camp though in 1990. Was is is that possible? I don't think it was getting pushed then. Okay, it wasn't the same one Maybe that they were giving the, the farmers. Yeah. You know, okay, dairy farmers used to get uh, or still get the anthrax vaccine, but not. Apparently not this one. Okay. Uh, and and uh, once I figured it out, a doc just said, "Hey, why don't you cut gluten out?" Um, and, and this is 2012 time frame. So I'm I'm walking around gaining weight and getting sore, you know, and crazy headaches. Uh, cut gluten out, bam! Instantly lose 25 pounds. No kidding. Yeah. And, and uh, kept on, you know, losing a little bit. And then I'm now I'm a keto kook. Uh, I mean, I'm strict. Like there are, there's no, there's no pizza night. Nothing. No pizza night. I don't substitute. Anything. Not even just ordering an uh, extra meat pizza and just scraping the cheese, pepperoni, and sausage off into a bowl and eating that. Because I'm known to do that right there. Hey, and that's all keto, go. and that's good to go. <laughs> I know it's good to go. Yeah, I do the meat pizzas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, you know, with, with with a side of guac or something. Just you know, do butter this. in my coffee when I'm traveling <laughs> instead of MCT oil. Figuring out your diet's huge. Yeah. Um, you've got to figure out something. You know, I never stopped working out, even though some things got, you know, caused me crazy headaches. I find something else to do. You know, find, you know, the, the blood flow restriction stuff mm-hmm. um, and some sort of suspension trainer. Um, that that will fire you up. You know, you use less The blood weight. flow restriction trainer. That's the cat, was a katsu, right? Katsu. Katsu. Yep. K A T S U U, right? Correct. It's like a little system. You put it on. It's like a really strong, uh, uh, what is that called? Blood pressure. Right, 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 right. Cuff but narrow. That yeah, squeezes right. hard and cuts the blood flow off to your lip. Right. The idea is you cut it by 80%. And but, then you work it. Right. And then you work out with, with 20% of the weight. So you're taking a load off your body, uh, but you're still getting a hard, a mentally hard and physically hard workout. So, so you're not causing all that stress and damage, and you're getting a legit workout. I mean, I, the thing I do is 30 minutes. I'll do some other stuff too, like a, with with the katsu bands. You know, you can do the rower for 20 minutes. Legit, you're hurting. Yeah, uh, um, you you mentally have to fight to finish, um, especially your arms because you can arms. You got to what you can cut the blood flow off. You know your brachial mm-hmm. arteries are easier to get to than your femorals. Femorals mm-hmm. you literally, literally can't cut it off with a saw, real tourniquet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know there's some training to go along with that. Of course, you know I mean just don't go ahead and start. You know <laughs> cutting blood flow off. You got to know what you're doing. And my workout partner is awesome, Pat. I um, mean legit. I was his client first. You know as uh, you know taking care of my neck, taking care of my hip, you know, shoulder rehabs, hip and knee rehabs, and uh, became a workout partner. And so I've got a pro um, that, that brought me into it, uh, the, the um, blood flow restriction stuff. And there's crazy Doppler systems that, uh, a lot of it was, was pre-amputee, this one system, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's it's four grand. Hmm. You know, but it actually has a Doppler tells you what your blood flow is. Oh, God. You know, he was thinking of bringing something on board for clients. Um, but you have to, uh, you really have to know that it's okay because the pain you're going to feel in your arms, legit. Uh, and you question it. But if you have this Doppler, it says, oh, it's okay. You know, if you, if you do your capillary refill, you get three seconds on, you know, then, then you're okay. 
you know, uh, and you just got to know you're not. It hurts, but you're not harming yourself. Yeah. Any workouts that cause questioning are good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like that twenty to twenty rep squat workout yeah. that causes questioning of severe, life severe and like questions. whether you want to be, you know. I've been doing that workout where I'm literally questioning if I even want to be strong. If I even want to be a man, I'm just like, well, maybe right. I could just hang hang up on everything and just call it good. I'm just going to become a whatever, some, you know, uh, take on a different course, a different path in my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. So workouts like that are good. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you've got to do something. I mean, that's, that's like the greatest thing about You have to have some little piece of adversity, you know. Uh, and I don't care. In Maine, you got to go get the mail and you got to, you know, and it's really cold outside. Yep. And, and, you know, we got chickens, or we had chickens. Uh, I'd like to get them again because kids got to get the eggs. Mm-hmm. You can come into the house when you get off the bus, or you can go get the eggs and come in the house. But if you come in the house, you're still going to get the eggs, and you got to put your boots back on. And in the morning, before you get on the bus, you got to go change out, make sure the water's, um, you know, not frozen mm-hmm. or and replace it. Um, so it a good it, little responsibility for them. Yeah, yeah, but it's a piece of adversity that's you know easy easy to overcome mm-hmm. you got to have something in your life that that uh you know makes you make decisions and uh yeah so 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 going back you get this billet up to maine which for people don't know probably wouldn't why would you know this there's a seer school survival evasion resistance and escape school up in maine and it's where the whole navy is it just navy is and, any, and marine corps and then you get a couple you know, uh, foreign nationals in there once in a while. But they come like, for instance, air crew. If you're a pilot or you're air crew, you got to go up to this school and learn how to survive, how to evade, how to resist interrogation, and how to escape. Uh, I know I went, when I went to SEAL Team 1 when I was a new guy, the first thing they did was send you to SEER school. Great. I went to the one that's out here on the on the West Coast. And cool, very, very good training, very thorough training. Uh, very cool training, but you ended up being an instructor up there at that school. Yeah, and you show up there. What's cool about this school? Kind of like being a buds instructor, which I was never a buds instructor. But you get a you get a glimpse into human psychology. Oh man, that that you know, I was talking to Andy Stump the other day. He was like debriefing me on you know he was a second phase diving dive instructor at buds, and he he could just know when he's doing pool comp on something. He had all these different you know, he could just watch the way a person's moving their body oh, yeah. and know exactly what they're going to do. Oh, he's getting ready to bowl. Oh, he's good. He's going to pass out. Oh, this guy's panicking. He, you just see it over and over again. And so same thing at Sears school, we, you're going to watch people from a detached perspective because you're an instructor. You're not all freaked out or engaged in it. Right. And you get to see how they respond and you get to learn how to, well, the interrogation piece is huge as far as human interaction. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, everything. <clears throat> So we conduct training to 50 below zero. <laughs> and and uh, just the idea of that for some, and we, we modify it. You, I mean, you don't just do the same thing. Right. The instructor's uh, huge responsibility. Um, and you've got folks that have been cubicle warriors. They're pilots. They, they signed on to be a pilot or an air crew with a, mm-hmm. you know, a cushy seat on an airplane. Oh, they definitely like that. And, and uh, um, you know, you're not, you get some. You got some marine recons to go through. You know, used to get seals go through. Still do. Um, although we, like we talked about, they uh, got their own course now. Yeah. Um, and they're doing some things uh, that are legit. Uh, you, you know, you're making a snow cave, mm-hmm. and that's where you're staying tonight. And you watch people. And this one uh, 
he was uh you know going through to be a c2 pilot mm-hmm. and he did not want to stay outside that night and he was trying to sleep because you have these adirondack shelters which is actually going to be colder and you're cramped in with all these other people but there's um it's off the ground and there's no insulation under the floor Freezing. so you're just you're gonna freeze you mm-hmm. make a snow cave and you're going to be happy as happy going to be. Your body's going to warm it up. You just have to have the confidence to do that. And, and uh, watching somebody try and slow roll it, and I go, hey, tonight you're sleeping here. Whether you get this done in the daytime or you get it done at night, you'll be happier. Uh, uh, I'm doing you a favor. And you, But watching their, their minds work, watching people try and attach themselves to people so they can get through, um, you know, uh, uh, like, cause there were still, still team guys going through mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, people want to attach themselves to that team guy cause they're going to drag them through. But if you can't do what that team guy's going to do, uh, uh, especially when you go on two man evasion, um, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild to see. And when they are, uh, in the captivity portion, you know, watching mm-hmm. what happens, uh, you know, either diamond people out, and you don't need, people really get into the problem, and they really, I mean, there's a little made up language, you know, mm-hmm. it's got like 150 words, um, and uh, they don't come out of character at all. Yeah. The no, first time you see some actors. of these people, because they hide them, they come into the back of the building, that the students never see them in the classroom portion, and the first time they see them, they're in character, and, uh, yeah, it's it's. Were it's, you guys doing the Eastern Bloc thing still? Yeah, man, they couldn't get away from it. <laughs> you know, it, it's a vehicle. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but I was like, I was you telling know, you this we got before the wars going on right yeah. now. I was telling you, I mean, uh, the first when I went to Sierra School, and you get you have to turn if you don't get captured by a certain time, you got to turn yourself in. They put me in the right. back of a truck. They pull us out. They put me against the wall, and this guy's like to ask me a question. And you know me, I'm freaking 19 years old, you know, just yeah. got out of buds, and I'm just like, you know, what's me. this dude's gonna do to me? And I gave him some wise ass answer. Right. right. He slapped me he slapped me as hard as as hard as he could. Right. I mean, look, I've been punched, I've been slapped many times, but I've been yeah. punched in the face. This was as hard, you know, this was an open handed slap. Right. And he did it like three or four more times. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to freaking chill out a little bit because my bro right here is going to be ready to get it on. Yeah. uh, Basically, if you're getting some extra treatment, Mm -hmm. then... um, then you're not doing it right. Something, you know, because it's not yeah, about you're being a punk tough. as well. Well, from right. my case, I was, what I was not doing right was I was not being Correct. Uh, humble and respectful and treating the thing as, as if it was real. I was just like, whatever. Okay. Okay. 100%. I'm in. There's, you know, the, the, the tough Marine mentality, you know, which is good to have, but you got to know when to say, hey, um, that's not going to work in this situation. Yeah. And, and uh, using those tools and techniques, you know, to, to, um, be polite, you know, and, and uh, give me a rundown of interrogation techniques that you like. Um, I like the nice guy interrogator. I said I wouldn't go do the the the, the hard side, mm-hmm. you know. Um, basically, I taught the camping part first, mm-hmm. you know, and then I went and did that deployment that we talked about. You know, I never been away from. Uh, we get into that later, but um, I, I I I like the simple um, soft sell approach, just talking to folks. And it's really the way you order questions, you know, that, that read technique where you really give somebody a reason why they did something they did wrong, uh, kind of give them a way out, but leading them to admit to something yeah. they did wrong. Um, it, it's, uh, 
that, that soft sell is magic. It's really just a conversation. Because I'd be like the first person that they've seen that's nice to them mm-hmm. after they've, you know. Uh, um, been slapped around been and all of a sudden around, you're being cool. And, like, and, hey, hey, I understand. Hey, I understand. You, you understand why, you know, you, you've uh, been isolated and kept away from everybody. You heard probably the coughing, you know, so we have to keep you away from everybody. And we had to take away all your stuff and, uh, you know, make sure you're all clean and good. And, uh you know, and there's purposely a camera with a red light on it that they can see, mm-hmm. and they're admitting to different things, um, <laughs> and it's 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 really it's wild to yeah. see. Um, it, it's it's way beyond what a lot of the instructors think it is. It, it's it's how to get through roadblocks, how to talk yourself out of a ticket. It's how to you know, um, it, it's it's everyday instances. Uh, it's a job interview. It's it's really sitting across the table right now and thinking slowly. You know, sometimes if I ask a question, I might swallow or take a drink of water so I can think for a half a second and, and come up with that, you know, better, politer answer. It's keeping that military bearing and uh, um, not, you know, being starting a fight. You know, that that's, uh, it helps you out a crazy amount. Yeah, we've had some uh, POWs on here, yeah. mainly from... Actually, I think all of them, all the POWs have from the Vietnam War. And it's incredible to hear their stories and what they went through. Right. And they came back and put, injected their lessons learned into the SEER schools. Sure. And so that was awesome to get those lessons learned and just different breaking points, mm-hmm. you know, how long someone can take it. And, you know, everyone's going to eventually break, but. You know how much you know how long are you gonna go? And even when they break, they give bad information or useless information and pretty heroic stuff. There. Did you say you went on a deployment while you were at SEER school? Yeah. Um, so originally, I was gonna go out the door with SEAL Team Two um, and, and uh, do my reenlistment there with them uh, and get you know get it all happy and tax free and mm-hmm. um, and, <clears throat> and uh, that got denied because I needed there at the school you know there's only a couple of seals there um and it really you know there's some marines there too but then the rest are all air crew and pilots that, that that's not what they do for a living so um and then later on you know kind of made a little bit of better stink about it a little better sales pitch to go and i was going to go on deployment with seal team eight to iraq um and it was all worked out and i was even going to stay there longer i was going to really do some things see related there you know maybe not but i was going to be in a task unit and i was bringing my snack yeah. well i mean we were capturing a lot of guys throughout throughout the war and having you know at, at, a, at a point we tr- kind of transferred to having our see our own well not our own seals but other seals do interrogations and do intel right. gathering and they were freaking great man they were awesome yeah so it was really good to have guys that were able to do that kind of stuff yeah, and it's uh, and I, I probably wouldn't have been doing that, but actually working it out, you know, um, the pitch from our side of, of recovery. Um, but really, I was just going to be working with a task unit, mm-hmm. and I was going to be an extra gun and uh, work wherever I, I yeah. you know, um, working it out with the, with the command master chief. Yeah. Have gu- have gun will travel. Yep, and uh, all worked out, ready to go. So I get, I'm on my way down to Virginia Beach, and the civilian ops guy says, "Hey, we have this requirement in Columbia. You know, the the agency guys got wrapped up down there, and they're trying to get them out. Um, and we need a Spanish speaker." Okay. Uh, uh, so I was on my way down there, um, and they they got um, 
released. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I was already on my way down, so I went to go work with the Fronteriza, and you know was attached to uh, Debt South, um, and stayed down there for four months. And uh, that was pretty wild because I hadn't been to Panama um, since it closed, um, and uh, went into the Darien, you know, uh, just checking, you know, some things out. And, and uh, you know, you watch, you see a, an entire boatload of gateway computers going, making its way into the Darien. <laughs> you can't miss those boxes, you know, the the, the, the white and black boxes. Oh, yeah. uh, um, and then you see a whole, you know. Cayuca, you know, dugout canoe load come of uh, empty uh, El Panama, you know, beer coming back out. Uh, um, a lot goes on in the Darien Gap, you know, where, where it's really a national forest. You can't go in there. Um, there's no vehicle traffic in there unless you're, you know, a narco-terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely a ton that goes down there, a whole bunch of, I'll, I'll leave it at different things that get funneled through. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was it was really neat to see and be part of that and try and get the Fronteriza online um, to you know help us out and, and keep things from coming north. So and that ends up being your last deployment in the teams. Yeah, uh, and then back up to you know back up to finish my t- uh, time out uh, at Sears School. Ton learned though, watching the different interaction with uh, you know um, the Chinese that were down there, you know, uh, um, getting their fingers into everything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll leave it at that. There's definitely some, some, some work that needs to be done there. Uh, you say then it, next up is retirement, and what do you plan to do when you retire? When it's, so this is now 2009. You're going to retire, or you retire? Yeah, uh, uh, Chris, uh, New Year's Eve 2009. Uh, start the new year unemployed was the plan. Got to go Whittlewood in Maine. And uh, I had, you know, nest egg settled up. I didn't need to work for a few years if I didn't need want to, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, that never happened. Um, do, you know, the call started coming, um, and I started uh, doing some training back with the teams. Did Just this. contracting? Yeah, uh, um, working the sit X's, working some different training pieces, ended up doing some some research, test development stuff. Um, and then uh, then ended up going to Yemen, um, uh, not with the teams, mm-hmm. uh, uh, contractor there, and, and you know, administrative security guy, um, and that was pretty wild because that's that's the you know AQAP, you know, uh, Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, hot hot spot. Mm-hmm. We were right in the hot spot of the hot spot. So you know, really learning how to use my words because we didn't have a gun, and, and uh, you've got a guy running around blowing up our wells, um, and uh, it, it's. Uh, the stories are pretty weird uh, because they're that dumb. Everybody's <laughs> got to understand they're all stoned. Everybody in, in Yemen uh, cot. chews cot, yeah. you know, which is a hallucinogenic amphetamine. And they're all, you know, in the city, they start chewing it, you know, about 4 o'clock in the desert. They chew it earlier. In the desert, um, it, it's got a whole bunch of uh, um, different fertilizers in it, and it's 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 winds them up a little bit more and so you try you know we don't want to get a um doing everything at the same time all the time you're leaving the gate you know um but you try and get things done in the morning because they're wound up in the afternoon and and so that's different and we got three different facilities we're checking out um trying to keep the oil flowing is the job your inner security is the tribe and the outer security 
and all the outposts are, are the Yemeni army, mm-hmm. and they hate each other. <laughs> the Yemeni, Yemeni army has a drinking problem. They make their own hooch along with a cot. Um, and uh, the State Department contract for pilots, pilot training, you will not chew cot while flying. So that kind of sets the base of it that actually has to be written in a contract. Uh, of um, And, and you, literally, we had millions of dollars of oil production slowed or stopped because they didn't get their tea and crackers. And, and literally, because mm-hmm. the driver guards want their tea and crackers. Well, their cousin hijacked the truck that has the tea and crackers in it and took it back to the town, Behan. And uh, um, we'll tell your cousin to let it go. And and, <laughs> uh, and eventually just let him and haw on it for a while because the sharing agreement gets pushed to the right um, and they're not really losing money. It's just delaying it. Uh, and, and so you eventually resolve it. Hey, we'll, we'll go ahead and give you money to buy your own tea and crackers and we'll get you know things going again. Eventually they say, okay. And then eventually they come around and say, yep, um, we're happy getting the raise, and now we want our tea and crackers again. It's, uh, but you get run down in the desert by a guy who just got, his brother got droned in the desert because he's running around with Al-Qaeda, and uh, his brother wants payback, or his dad uh, through his brother wants payback for, for his son. He wants his back pay because he used to work for the Army, um, but he, now he worked for Al Qaeda when he got, you know, got the drone strike, uh, and and he wants back pay and medical benefits from the company because he used to work for the company also, but he was blowing up the pipeline uh, and, and the wells. You know, well, one day he got it below the restrictor, the cutoff, uh, and, and so it wouldn't stop. You know, normally it'll just cut itself off the the, the, the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to bring wild oil in at like four or five million a day. Damn. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a bill, uh, and, and this guy runs you down in the desert. And there were a couple of shots over your head. Um, to uh, it's kind of chest bump. You know, um, not really intended to shoot at you, but shoot at you pretty close. Uh, and they outnumber us, and, and they've got better firepower. Uh, so you stop and you talk it out, you know, and, and, uh, you know, Hey, we'll work on this. And, you know, I, I make the fake glance in the air. They look like I'm looking for the drone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, my security guy is like their cousin, you know, but he's sworn to take care of me and, and it's legit. Uh, uh, and there's two guys with belt fed, you know, RPKs and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, you learn to use your words mm-hmm. uh, and, and serious school help with that. And I'm doing it through an interpreter too, you know, um, Hilo pilot or uh, Hilo pilot has a stroke um, that works for the oil company. Uh, Cause they're spiraling, spiraling up to 11,000 feet to get out of uh, um, the range of the fire. Cause I'm there during the Arab spring and, um, and the guy has a stroke um, that later that day in the chow hall and they come finding me, you know, Hey, Mr. Ed, um, you know, uh, he just had a stroke. All right, let's load him up and, and uh, you know, get one of our vehicles. He doesn't work for us. He works for a separate company um, that's not taking care of him. Like, I mean, those people are taking care of me and we're taking care of everybody. Uh, um, and so 
load him up, take him to the hospital. Uh, I didn't go. Um, you know, I just provided mm-hmm. what he needed. And then uh, next day, uh, Mr. Ed, they're not letting us into the hospital. You know, it's for this free medical care, but you got to bring your sheets and your food every day and go out in town and get the medicine that they're prescribing for you and bring it back. Mm-hmm. Well, that day, um, President Sala got blown up, you know, and uh, one of the sheikhs got blown up in that mosque was in that same hospital. So that tribe took over the hospital and they've got it sandbagged in. They've got, you know, literally um, RPGs walking through the hallways, um, you know, good built times, good times. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm this 200 and uh, probably 65 pound uh, white guy at the, you know, blonde haired guy at this time, you know, and then, yeah, lo- get me this tur this interpreter. Uh, um, and uh, we're, we're going to the hospital. I said, hey, here's what you're gonna say. You're gonna say it how I say it. You gotta tell them that you're very happy that they're there. You're very sorry about their shake, uh, you know, getting blown up. And, and uh, we've got a guy in there too. You guys are taking care of your guy. We wanna take care of our guy. Um, please continue to make the hospital secure, but we'd like to go in there so we could take care of our guy also. Could you please let us in? And it worked. They were getting shut down, you know, and mm-hmm. would not be allowed in. So we go in there, and, and it's a train. You've got all these old overpressure blast folks that are just smoked. Um, and then this guy's in there with, you know, had a stroke, you know, grown man diaper and not getting taken care of. And so we get them all set. They run out in town to go get the medicine, and and uh, I stayed there with him. And they come back, and they they call me up and said they're not letting us in again. Well, what'd you do? Well, we, we just went in. Start all over again. You're happy they're there. They're making the hospital secure. You're not really happy, but you're, you're telling mm-hmm. them they're happy. Um, you got your guy. We got our guy. We want to take care of our guy like you're taking care of your guy. And uh, up the, you know, then they come back in. And uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, the ability to find something, the common piece, your guy's hurt and our guy's hurt. We're happier here. You know, you're going through a checkpoint, you know, Man, I'm happy you guys here. Have you guys seen anything? Is everything good? You know, is there anything we need to be aware of? You know, because you know, uh, uh, you're not happy they're there, but you you got to explain that. You know, get that, find something that that's in common that may or may not be. Yeah, build a little quick relationship yeah, with these a little people. Rapport. Yeah, uh, a ton of that. Yeah. And so how many? So how long did you do that contracting stuff for? Um. It's just kind of continual since I retired. Um, you know, it really started working again for Brian Sargent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, he'd get me set up on all kinds of, you know, I won't name the companies, but it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, everything from going to the Olympics to the World Cup, living out in town with the athletes, and, and uh, school, you know, as team guys, it's, you're, you're just not a monkey. You're, you're, you're setting everything up, squaring everything away, way beyond what security guy does, yeah. uh, and, and making sure everything flows smoothly, picking up, you know, gaps without dropping security. And security uh, as a civilian, especially executive stuff, is uh, you really have to have a really, you know, easy but hard mentality at the same time. I'm trying to look like somebody that, that, that you don't want to bother and you're going to go, you know, bother the other watch company, you know, uh, uh, because that one's not worth hitting. And at the same time, you know, they might want you sitting at the table with them when you'd rather not because that's not your job, mm-hmm. but it is to them. So you got to make a bunch of assessments, 
uh, and, uh, you know, um, yeah, do some stuff you wouldn't normally do, but you do the assessment and, uh, you know, it's, uh, really interesting, super, super flexible. Um, and, and it's, you have to be super personable, um, be able to talk, uh, with, you know, heads of state, um, that these, you know, top, I mean, I, I've been to F1 races, um, in the absolute most without naming the company as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking to some wild people and you know, they want to talk to you cause you're the, you're the seal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're proud to have you with them and they're showing you off. I got a job to do still, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, so it's a wild mix. And, and if you are the grunty guy, cause I was with, uh, you know, a, a rock band and, and who's really good people are super, you know, uh, um, yeah, just, just that, that was super enjoyable, but we got some, we're always augmented overseas by somebody else. And the folks that are, um, augmenting us, um, they just have this militant look about them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, including having sleeves rolled up and, and, uh, like, you know, uh, even, you know, cargo panty thing, you know, mm-hmm. pants and stuff. And, and, uh, that's not the look we want folks. In a lot of ways, to do overseas, you know, I'm making sure the the law enforcement that's there um, is uh, um, that they they and I don't know them very well, so it's you know because I'm we're jumping into a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I'm making sure they they feel right, you know, uh, that that they're not nervous themselves, you know. If you're there a long time, I'm making sure the driver is the same feel today as he had yesterday and the day before, you know, so so that. You know, he wasn't threatened and told to make a left-hand turn, you know, when he's supposed to be going straight. Uh, it's a ton of that. I've talked to the clients a lot, you know, to they need to build rapport and and, uh, and be kind to their security personnel and their drivers and things so that, uh, you know, they love them, you know, their family, mm-hmm. because you're asking them to take, you know, when, I, when I'm... It's the deal is I'm going to stick my neck out for these people and risk this father's going to risk his life for these folks. And so are those folks. Mm-hmm. So you better treat them kind and like family, you know? Uh, and I know a lot of these folks, they use us as a, you know, uh, they're a bit of a prop, you know, Hey, let's get going, you know, or, or interject here and there. And, and uh, it's, it's, there's some, you know, some of these guys are skilled sales folks and they're doing some acting and, you know, you take it on the, yeah, uh, but he knows that I know also, you know, so, okay. It's, uh, again, it's a wild ride. And if you're not flexible uh, and you don't have a mentality that can roll with it a little bit, um, yeah, you're not going to be very successful at it. And I've had some wild clients. I really enjoyed that part. I like taking care of folks. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, yeah, admittedly, I'll, I'll say I'm pretty damn good at it because uh, they keep calling me back, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and Brian's keeps feeding stuff and I haven't done it in a while. Mm-hmm. I started doing a lot of RD, you know, RDT and research, test and development with the teams and some other fun things. So yeah, you know, became a firefighter, you know, I'm a volunteer firefighter and all or was rather in Alma until we moved from there. Mm-hmm. And then I became a uh, reserve deputy sheriff in, in Lincoln County. And so you're, so you're doing some contracting, you're doing some firefighting, you're doing some reserve sheriff activity. At what point, do you get uh, roped in 
to to the political arena. Arena. Yeah, uh, and I'm doing all that. I'm I bought an excavator. I'm uh, you know uh, I'm, I'm grading driveways and, and digging uh, foundations for folks. I'm doing some diving for folks. I mean I've got all these things going on. I'm getting my I got my private pilot license. I'm gonna about to start getting my commercial license. And yeah, it's it's it, you know 14 ish months ago. Uh, people have been asking a lot for us to get involved for me to get involved in the politics uh and because things are going sideways mm-hmm. and i kept saying nope 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 and things got to the head uh and uh they asked again again i said no and and uh, i tell the story over and over my wife said yes you will uh her she's been from Ven- and, and she was yes 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 you will we talked about it and her being from venezuela and seeing that you know that that leadership gap mm-hmm. uh in venezuela you know caused it to spiral down people don't realize it was venezuela we used to get 17 percent of our oil from venezuela, oh yeah more than any other country i mean yeah. they were they, they were uh a wealthy country uh and now they are you know again j- just like the the hospital in in yemen uh you had to go out in town and get medicine and provide your sheets and provide your food in the hospital and there's no f- medicine out in town now either you had to go to Colombia. Her family's a big part of it's originally from Colombia. Well, they escaped the narco state and went to Venezuela, and now they're fleeing back to the narco state. They had to go to Colombia to get medicine for her uncle who was in the hospital. Um, and uh, yeah, we, hey, we've got kids, you know. Uh, we've got two in college and one in high school. And they're where we're doing it. We sat down as a family and we talked about it. We had to make sure everybody was, was good to go with it. Uh, and you know, to varying degrees, to you know, uh, um, what does my fifteen-year-old know about it? You know, he gets mm-hmm. it to a large degree. You know, he, he was since he was you know that tall. You know, uh, uh, um, he was dad. This is made in China, and it that's not right. You know, uh, uh, so he gets a lot of things, and he gets this too to a degree. Um, my older sons helped me write stuff. You know, he helped me write that pledge. You know, may take an ownership for the condition of our country because uh, I have not participated. You know, in this, I've always served, but never this. He helped me write that. He helped me write my first speech. No one can write for me. Uh, it all comes from the heart. I free flow just about everything uh, because it's from the heart. It's legit. Uh, you know, this is not what I would normally do. You know, um, I say it over and over again too. You know. I, I grade my church driveway. You know, I show up there when nobody's there. You know, and, and uh, I grade it. It's a it's a steep dirt hill, and uh, um, make it all pretty again. Load my tractor up, and I go away before anybody comes back. And now I'm doing a selfie while I'm doing it. That is not who I am. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Was there a straw that broke the camel's back as far as making you? say yeah i'll do it or was the straw just your wife saying you better do this it's all the crazy divisiveness you know in 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 seer school you know we actually taught um how not to get indoctrinated and not how not to allow these divisions happen while you're a captive you know in in the korean war there were 14 americans that were taught in captivity that america's bad and they did not have these captors convinced them to stay in north korea That's insane. Yep. That's happening here in America. How many ways are they trying to divide people? 
whether you're vaccinated and unvaccinated, you're taught you're bad and evil if you're not vaccinated. And you're, you know, uh, you, you are taught, you know, uh, either you deny the election or you think there, we need an election integrity to take a look at the election, you know, uh, th- then you're a traitor to the country. Uh, you, you, hey, let's just take a look at it. Make sure the, the people that think it was stolen um, understand it. You know, I'll take that's that that's an okay stance to have. All this division in the country is insane. It's not comfortable. Um, you know, uh, I've complained about it, and uh, it's the only thing I can do to, to make it right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're stepping up, and we're definitely stepping up as a family. My wife is a huge part of the campaign. Uh, I mean, driving force, uh, and uh, couldn't do it. You know, wouldn't want to do it uh, without family buy-in. But uh, yeah. Um, it's a legit push, you know. I was going to go get my commercial pilot's license. I was going to do one more thing that was going to be fun. I enjoy flying. That's on hold for a little bit. What's been the biggest surprise about entering the the political arena? Confirming all that divisiveness. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I walk up and I will talk to anybody. I go to these fairs, these uh, um, um, all the farm fairs and all that, uh, um, agricultural fairs, and... I, I walk, I give my spiel, you know, I always start with a na- you know, a retired Navy SEAL because no one wants to talk to a politician and I am definitely not that. Uh, so I said, hey, I'm at the a retired Navy SEAL running for U.S. Congress. Uh, you have time for me to tell you about the campaign? Uh, great. I did 21 years in the Navy, all of it in the SEAL teams. I'm a volunteer firefighter. I'm a reserve deputy sheriff uh, and never wanted to run for office. I'm running because I was asked to. And uh, the guy goes, oh, hey, that, that, that sounds great. Um, Who's the president of the United States? You know, <laughs> you don't have to like it, but Joe Biden's the president of the United States. And, and uh, you know, he asked me, you know, was the election stolen again? And uh, I go, hey, we need to work on election integrity so everybody's com- comfortable with the results of the election. You know, whatever happened, everybody denies that the election, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, is still denying that her uh, election was legitimate. You know, the, the hanging chads in Florida, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we gotta have something. That man called me a traitor. Volunteer firefighter, reserve deputy sheriff, 21 years in the SEAL teams. I want to get check the election integrity so everybody's comfortable and I'm a traitor. Not cool. Uh, that So a, a lot of that, uh, you know, uh, building the campaign's pretty wild. Uh, you know, we're, we're definitely, Money visits Maine, it doesn't stay there, so we don't get, you know, the donations are don't flow in. Although, we're working our tail off. We're out raising, you know, somebody's been in uh, D.C. for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been in politics for 30-plus years, and we're out raising her three-to-one in human money. But she gets 91% from PACs, and, you know, so she's got smoking us in the uh. coin. Um, you know, and, and mostly out of state, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a wild thing, you know, cause you can look at all that stuff in the FEC website. Uh, that was a second quarter firefighter. That's gotta be, uh, like just so crazy to think if you live in Maine, which obviously I got companies up in Maine, yeah, yeah. Probably, you know, but, and I, I don't live there, but if you live in Maine and you think that the people that are trying to get someone elected don't live in Maine and have right. no interest in Maine, but they want to, want to st- change what people are going to vote for. Right. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, and, and I don't know the right answer to fix that, you know? Uh, uh, and that was actually started by a Republican, you know, uh, the super PAC thing, mm-hmm. which is, you know, they can do unlimited expenditures in your name. It's, it, no, definitely not right. 
Um, and I, you know, I, I'm definitely the weirdo. I'm going to probably go a lot, um, learning about who I am also, because I've never put full thought into all these ideas that, that conservatives have. And now I have to, because it comes out of my mouth <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's on film or recorded forever. And, and so, you know, and it's also, you really have to think about, you know, just like when I was in the platoon and I became the, the recce guy, you know, squad, and now I'm the task unit, you know, over mm-hmm. the whole task unit. Those are all my folks now, you know. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I'm representing all of District 1, and, and I will uh, uh, represent District 1. So i got to think about, you know, what, what's going to be right for everybody. And, and uh, you know, I'll admit to fault. I'm not, you know. That's how we fix things. That's how we fix things in the teams, the military. If you can't say, "Hey, um, let's let's look at the result of that," and uh, oh, that might have not been the right thing, you're going to keep going down there. And politicians never do that. They yeah. never admit to, to wrong. Uh, I'm I'm not that guy. I am not polished. Uh, I know I've never run for office. You'll notice I um and you know and uh, hey check uh but i'm honest uh and i'll keep my integrity you know i'll keep what my you know my beliefs and uh learning a lot about you know um me is 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 part of it um because you really have to think um your decisions are going to weigh in you know uh and make affect lives yeah it's crazy with the politicians the um number one to come out and say hey this is this is the right answer about whatever you can say about right, anything right and anything like hey, this is the right answer this is what we need to do and then it doesn't work out as good as they thought it would or maybe it's even bad or whatever but instead of saying hey you know what that is what i thought we should do it turns out there were some other factors that were involved and here's some adjustments we need to make instead they just ride that parachute into the ground right like right. It's like hey this is the plan i came up with we're sticking with it and even when you come up with something, you know, I've been in leadership positions for a long time now. I mean, I guess for at least 25 years or something like that. I've been in leadership positions. And to, to, to say, hey, this is 100% right, everyone else should be quiet, is such a bad move. Yeah. Because the chances that you're so smart or that I'm so smart that I'm gonna figure out the best way to conduct this operation, I'm gonna figure out the best solution to this business problem we're having, or I, I, I'm gonna, come up with the the problem solving move over here. The chances that I am just so smart that I figure it all out. No one else can figure it out, but I figure it all out. And by the way, when I figure it out, I calculate all the variables in the future. Right. That's what I'm I'm so smart that I figure out all the future variables and I get I'm going to get all those right as well. That's how smart I am. So why would you make statements that you're 100% right about anything? It's a dumb move. And then when you're not, which is okay, right? why would you not say, hey, you know what? Here's what I thought was gonna happen. Here's the plan we went with because of that's what I thought and that was the consensus and then it was wrong and here's the adjustments we're gonna make. No big deal. Right. No big deal. I've worked for bosses and I know you've worked for bosses that pretended like or thought that they had the 100% solution and, and then they won't back down from their decision even when it's wrong. And you, they think their respect is gonna go down, that people will respect them less if they say, hey, I was wrong. But it's absolutely the opposite is true. When I say, hey, I screwed this up, 
people go, oh, okay, well, at least Jock was humble enough to admit that he was wrong and he's gonna make some adjustments now. Nothing wrong with that. We haven't, politicians have not learned that lesson yet. Right. It, it's, it's the fear of the soundbite, uh, the, the fear that, you know, well, you should step down because you made that bad decision. No, I, uh, that was a wrong decision. I admit it's wrong. We're gonna move forward. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make mistakes and uh, I'll admit it and we'll figure something out to, to find what's better. But that's not happening right now. No. Uh, it's not happening and it's got to, you know, if anybody thinks it was okay to mask kids up um, that are, you know, born when this thing started and uh, they've never seen a human face except their parents for two plus years, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, th- that, hey, uh, uh, you know, the development's, you know, been slowed down in, in all our children. And uh, was that really worth it? You know, was that worth uh, shutting down businesses? You know, uh, uh, you know, we, we got uh, folks that, that their business was shut down and they sold out and they're never going to open them back up again. And uh, was that really worth it? You know, while saying that everybody can go to work in the big box stores and, and you're actually having more people in the big box stores. Is that right? <laughs> You know, uh, um, instead of spreading it out to all the other stores while keeping them, because that's that's a human, that's that's that individual's decision. Yeah, and you go look. Sometimes you're in a you're in a scenario you don't know what's going to happen. Like, hey, there's a bunch of people dying in Italy. Well, yeah. Okay, well we're going to lock some stuff down here. Okay, well, okay, got it. And then like a few weeks go by, and then a month goes by, and you say, hey, it seems like in other areas of the world this isn't that bad, and and all of a sudden, you can't, you, you, no one says, hey, we need to adjust our thought process right now. Right. We made some rash decisions early on because we didn't know what was going on. And you know, if, if you're my boss and you make a rash decision because you don't know what's going on and I don't know what's going on, I go, okay, well, hey man, I'm good. Let, let, let's give it a try because no one knows what's happening. Let's err on the side of safety. But then when you start seeing you know, other information come in and you say, wait a second, this doesn't seem like it's as bad. And we had people just holding the line on stuff that didn't make any sense. I mean, there's a, some kind of a, there's something in California going on right now where the Indian casinos stayed open and the other casinos are mad. I, I, I don't know if I know enough about it to talk about because I, I saw an advertisement or read an advertisement about it. But the, the other casinos are mad that they were open. And right. that they were able to make money, they said they profited when when the other casinos shut down. And I'm like thinking to myself, hey, if I was in charge of a casino and there was a bunch of casinos that were open and everything was okay, that seems like an indicator to me that maybe it's okay. Like when we had the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, California, and there was ninety thousand people in the right. in the arena, and it and it was no super spreader. There wasn't a bunch of people. And yet they went back to masks again. It was like it's like you can't make this up, right? Uh, the the roller coaster uh, of you know this is you you must do this, and then you see the politician doing that, you know, doing exactly what they said don't do. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, it's like hey, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it, it's, it's very disturbing. Yeah, it's uh, very disturbing, and, and and you know, again, I have the. Well, I live in California. Echo Charles lives in California, where we were like ground zero for the politicians saying one thing and doing something completely different. Right. Which, 
You can, you know, uh, Americans will only stand for that stuff for so long. And it was actually longer than I thought in many cases. It was, <laughs> it was sometimes like, hey, man, like, I, you know, we, we had a revolution against England. Right. <laughs> like, because they raised the taxes two cents on our bu- bushels of tea. And we're like, all right, you know what? That's enough. We're done, you know. Yeah, and and so there's only so much Americans can take. Uh, I think they definitely got pushed to the limit of that. They took more than I thought, you know, yeah. especially as time dragged on. But uh, but what's what's really disturbing is just the decisive the decisive defi- divisiveness that you mentioned already, where it's like, well, it doesn't seem like in retrospect that putting masks on little kids was a good idea for two years. Right, and, and instead of people going, yeah, that, that definitely seems like it was a bad idea and we should try and learn from that in the future. Instead, they're like, no. Right. No. You're like, hey, man, what reality are you in? Right. What but, reality are you in? Well, watching them, you know, from afar dump sand in, you know, the skate parks out oh, here yeah. in California. <laughs> and, and, you know, put two by fours across basketball hoops and... and uh, <clears throat> I was uh, up in, in uh, Baxter State Park. You know, it's a 13-mile ski uphill to get where you can stay mm-hmm. and sleep for, uh, take a break. And then it's another three miles up, much steeper terrain to where you're going to start to do actual, you know, um, ice climbing and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. So we made it 16 miles in uphill. There's nobody in the park. You know, it, it's uh, that's the cool thing about Baxter is, is in the winter is you cannot drive in there. Uh, you've got you've got very limited people, and they only allow so many people in there. We're away from everybody. Park ranger comes up, very sad. You have to go home now. We just made it here. <laughs> there's nobody. Yeah. There's nobody within you know 50 miles from us. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, you know, uh, uh, and so we had to. You know, ski out of, uh, uh, you know, back down the hill uh, of the mountain. And uh, that was so insanely disturbing. Yeah. And it came down from the Secretary of State, I believe is what it, what they said. Uh, and and uh, that was so, we, we were isolated. We were away from everybody. You know, a, a lot of this has to do with the ecosystem that a, that a, and really the digital ecosystem that a human being lives within. Right. Because I I know people that were in the ecosystem of, you know, COVID was the most heinous disease that ever came right. to the world. And these are these are people that are friends that I know are normal, yeah. like logical people. But their their digital ecosystem, the the Word inside there, the truth inside that digital ecosystem was just so closed loop right. that there was no other perspectives coming in whatsoever, and it, it was very, it was very disturbing to see, to see people that their world was so closed loop that they couldn't comprehend another viewpoint at all. And part of that ecosystem was to protect itself from outside thought. And right. so anybody that offered some other perspective was immediately attacked. Right. It wasn't a con- you couldn't have a conversation 
with someone in that other ecosystem, you couldn't have a conversation with them about it because they would they would uh, go on the attack and they would utilize the truths in air quotes the right. the supposed truths from inside their ecosystem which they truly believed right that that they were true and it was it was it was honestly it was it was very sad to see it was very sad to see people going through that and you know i, I would try and address it a little bit with people you know um, maybe mention to them something from the from outside their closed loop and, and and they would go on the attack and and go super defensive and it wasn't worth it you know i want to maintain a relationship with a person that i've known for 10 years or 12 years or 20 right. years you, you know you they're your friend and i'm not i don't want to fight with them over this thing it's like okay if you want to continue to live like literally quarantine yourself inside your house and we and we you know we met at an outdoor place to say hi and just mentioning that, you know, well, hey, just so you know, like I'm training jujitsu, right? And I've been training jujitsu with my friends and and all the time, and like none of us are sick and everyone's okay, and 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 just to see the look of horror in their eyes, almost as if, you know, I was one of the worst human beings ever. It was really sad. To, it was sad to see, but again, I think a lot of it has to do with. You know, you got to open up your perspective. You yeah. know, you got to open up your perspective, and you got to got to listen to more than one, more than one ecosystem of information. Otherwise, you're not seeing everything. And look, you can go far to the other side of the spectrum as well, right? And and you can get just as wrapped up in that ecosystem where you don't listen to anybody else. So, it's it's a very strange time, and I think, you know, um, I, I always find that people run into a problem with their ego, right? Same thing that we just talked about if I'm a politician, my ego won't allow me to say I was wrong. My ego won't allow me to say, hey, I don't know what to do, but this is what I think we should do, let's try this. My ego says, no, you know everything, I know everything. I, I'm, I'm not gonna make any mistakes. Well, the same thing happens when it comes to processing information. You get your root idea that you believe, right? and you don't want to admit, hey, you know what, I was, I was actually wrong about that. That was actually, that wasn't a good idea. Or, you know what, that's what I thought a month ago, and clearly there's new information that I should process and pay attention to. And people just unfortunately aren't thinking that way anymore. And it's like this weird tribalism that that takes hold that's, yeah. it's crazy to it's see. It's gonna be Rwanda, dude, yeah. uh, you know? You have to know somebody to actually know that they're different than you. Yeah. And uh, that didn't go over very well. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had to know each other. What's going on with the lobstermen up in Maine? Dude, I'll tell you what. Just um, because, I, I look, th- th- this is such a huge deal in Maine. What is this, a $2 billion industry in Maine? $2 billion, yeah. $2 uh, billion dollar industry. This is, you know, when you think of Maine, you think lobster, right? right? Of course. Hey, I hope you think Origin USA. I hope you think about <laughs> making jeans, right? A hundred percent. I hope you're thinking about boots. I hope you're thinking about the best jujitsu gis in the world. Uh, you're going to think about that stuff too. But before that, I have to admit, you're thinking about lobster because Maine is the is the is the the epicenter of lobster. It's the yeah. it's life in Maine. Yeah. And so what is going on? Yeah, no one no one wants a Massachusetts or a Canadian lobster. Yeah, I've never We're seen great. an advertisement for fresh fresh Massachusetts lobster, right? Correct. No. They want Maine lobster. No offense to Massachusetts. No offense to Canada, but you want Maine lobster. 
So they're coming up with all these ideas, uh, um, you know, the right whale up there, um, which is not even in the main waters. They haven't seen it. Um, and it's, they had an entanglement. Uh, Hold on, I'm just gonna clarify this. So it's called the right whale. This is, right. a, this is a breed of whale right. called it, the right whale. Yeah, it writes itself, uh, when it dies, um, it writes itself in the water and uh, uh, it floats. So, you know, if there are a whole bunch of dead right whales, they're gonna all be floating. You know, they actually, you know, history, um, they used to um, chunk it up, you know, and bring it on the ship in pieces because it would be just floating there. Uh, and and uh, that that's the other part of the, one of the parts of, hey, it doesn't make sense what you guys are talking about. Um, they're coming up with all these ideas to, to, you know, save the right whale, but they're looking at the lobstermen and lobstermen aren't the problem. You know, everything from, from the size of the pectoral fin and they don't have a notch in it where you know, the, the humpback whale has a notch and a huge uh, pectoral fin that would get caught in a horizontal rope. Um, all these things they wanna do don't need to be done. It's ship strikes that kills them and it's, it's Canadian snow crab gear that, that uh, does it. The, the main lobstermen have done all these things to take care of it and get it out of the way. And so some of the things never... that they do, for instance, is they put like breakaways in the lines, right? So Correct. if I was a right whale and I got caught up in a main lobsterman's line, right. it's designed to break. Right. And I get out and, and I'm fine. Out. And you're good. And they've already done that. They've already done that. Well, all the ropes are all identified. So if it does get caught in a uh, um, main lobsterman gear, it's identified as main lobster gear. Uh, and they put several breaks in it. Um, it it's, it's all been done and taken care of. And it really was hasn't been a problem ever. Uh, but the, the uh, National Marine Fisheries Services they made a decision that if a whale dies in Canada, we take credit for it, half credit for it. So one died there and we're getting blamed and we're gonna shut down our industry. And no one made, no, they're under NOAA, right? What, explain what NOAA is, yeah. NOAA. Yep, uh, National Oceanographic Ad Atmospheric Administration. And uh, you know, it, it's everything from mapping and weather uh, in the ocean and they have subcategories, and one is uh, National Marine uh, Fisheries Services. A and they came up with this uh, study, you know, and, and it, there's cryptic deaths. So if they get one death, they uh, assume there's three more, um, even though these things are gonna float. <laughs> and they stopped, they had, they had crews that were uh, um, detanglement crews where they disband them all because they're now entanglements they had uh you know observers out there where they don't have any observers anymore because they're not there uh, still they're trying to get them to modify things uh, in a manner that will shut the industry down so give me an example of what they what the noaa the noaa what do they want to modify for the lobstermen um, they want to they're, they're really trying to get them to bite in and weigh in on the decisions that, that are going to harm them uh, so closures uh, of you know the prime areas uh, um, so prime areas of where you drop lobster pots right and catch lobsters they want to shut them down they want to shut them down they want to try uh, ropeless gear which is you know uh, in the short r remote control a buoy pops up from the trap and you've got 10 to 20 traps strung out and you're going to count that this um, you know, you're dropping it in, uh, no one's gonna know where the, 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 the traps are, because they, you know, you, you might drop them in six knots of current. 
uh, in a string, and they're going to drop 150 feet, uh, you know, you know, even even further. And how much does a a lobster trap with some kind of a radio activated or so was must be sonar activated yeah. to get the buoy to pop up? Yep, it's going to be you know whatever they end up doing. Uh, uh, it, it's uh, they're about four grand um, a regular lobster buoy, ten bucks. So who's going to be able to do that? You know, it's going to be big, giant. You know, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, big box store, Walmart. You know, China taking over our lobster industry can't happen because regular mom and pop can't do that. You know, absorb that cost. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, I mean, we're looking at getting another uh, uh, seafood processing plant built in Maine instead of shipping it uh, up to Canada. And uh, that's, you know, uh, just like the oil industry, they're not going to build, you know, uh, another refinery because they can't have a guarantee that, you know, the oil industry is going to be around, you know, uh, just so they're not building that um, uh, seafood processing plant. There's a whole other, you know, slew of jobs in the construction and running of that 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 are gone. Uh, It's... uh, it's going to have a crazy ripple effect uh, across Maine. When you people come there, you know, uh, you know, to, to go to Red's Eats and, and stand an hour and a half in a line to go eat, you know, uh, a lobster roll. Yeah, this is like I said. I mean, when you think of Maine, you you think of lobster, hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, to yeah. shut this down would be insane. So what what will you be able to do when you're elected? Well, one, you know, the voice. Has to come out loud, you know. Uh, we're going to look at, uh, you know, cutting funding, uh, you know, for for the piece that's that's causing the problem. Uh, they got a job to do. I got it. Uh, but if they're looking at it, and if they're looking at the lobstermen, and they're not looking at where they need to look, um, then they're killing right whales by by you know accusing the lobstermen of, of being the culprit. You know, uh, you've got to, once you focus in on one thing, you're not looking to take care of the problem. You know, the, uh, it's ship strikes uh, and, and a lot of pleasure crafts and folks trying to get too close to the whales. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not the main lobstermen. It's uh, snow crab uh, traps way up in Canada. And, uh, you know, we get accounted for, like I said earlier, a uh, uh, death there. Um, to, that's insane. And that's, that's America doing it. That's NOAA. That, that's uh, National Marine Fishery Services doing that. Why? Why is this happening? Okay, so if I'm let's say let's say I'm a, let's say I'm I love animals, which I do. Mm-hmm. Let's say I love whales, which I guess I kind of love whales. I mean, whales are they're cool. Whales are cool animals. Yeah. I mean, I can I can see them from my house, and it's awesome. You know, I look out and we can see them spraying, and we see they they come they come pretty close to the lineup sometimes surfing. It's wow. pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so let's say I, I I do. Whales are awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to protect whales. And then I start going, oh, well, maybe these lobster traps could kill them and that seems bad. And then I start doing the research and I see that they can break out of the lines if they get tangled because we put this yep. into place. I see that they're counting, what'd you say, mystery deaths? Cryptic, they call it cryptic death. So if there's, uh, they find one dead, they say there's three more. Okay, so now I say I've got, I'm, I'm multiplying when I start pulling, running the numbers on this, it doesn't make any sense to to do that because this whale floats. So why would we say that it's dead? So as I start looking at this, I start saying, "Oh, this doesn't seem like it's a problem. Let's focus on you know some other issue because right. apparently the because it's it is apparent 
that the lobster traps and the lobster men are not the problem. So why are they not making this connection? Why are they continuing to go down this path which there's evidence, clear evidence that this isn't a problem? Well, because you can't have windmills where you're lobstering. And they want to put windmills in those areas. And uh, hey, if they make sense, cool. Uh, right now, they do not make sense. And, and you don't make up a lie, you know, even, even if it's right, the windmills, but you're making up a lie to, to make it happen, oh, that's wrong. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that the reason that they want to do this is because they can put windmills out there? Uh, yeah, can I say that 100%? Because, um, but that's where they want to put them. You know, and, okay, and, so you're uh, saying there is a plan to put windmills yep. out in that yep. section of the ocean. And, and, and uh, um, it's the, uh, the, the, they want to do it on the sea mounts, the mountains in the sea, because mm-hmm. that's where all the, the sea life goes, because mm-hmm. uh, you put the shortest chain uh, on mm-hmm. those. These are three to one ratio chains, um, nine foot links, you know, <laughs> and 50 fathoms. You know, uh, I think it's 50 fathoms, you know, 300 feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and and uh, that's going to rake and destroy the bottom. And they're, you know, um, and then they're going to run horizontal lines, um, you to know. To get the power back? Yeah, to get it, well, to, to string these things together. Uh, and, uh, you know, that'll catch a right whale um, because they get caught in their mouth. And all, all the pictures that they keep showing of the right whale with, with entanglements, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's never been our lobster gear it's uh it's bigger braided line uh and not the problem you know it's uh yeah you got to really look at it it, none of it makes sense you know none of it makes sense and and no one's going back and saying hey let's reassess this Mm -hmm. you know uh uh, it should have never gotten to this point they're looking to start to shut things down next month you know hey we're gonna do a lawsuit yeah well it's getting shut down who's doing a lawsuit uh, they're saying that the state's going to. Uh, um, uh, they, the lobsterman did one uh, uh, and, and took it to court. And it's um, it's uh, all the cryptic uh, deaths and the, you know, we, we're us taking credit for half of theirs. They want a 90% reduction in, in, uh, um, in deaths. Yet windmills, you know, the new vineyard wind farm uh, down in, uh, in Mass., they get to do uh, 20 takes. It's level B harassment, which is... Wait, what's 20 takes? What does that mean? Taking by, by level B harassment. You, you, you can harass them, and if they, it, it gets taken, uh, you had permission to harass it. So you can, you can stop them from breathing you know, by, by not allowing them to come to surface. Uh, you can uh, stop them from mating. You can stop them from sheltering. You can uh, disrupt their uh, migratory path. So what, you can do all that to the whales. The the, the windmills some... can, because they're they're going to do some blasting. They've got to do some sonic testing. Um, just the vibration of the you know what what is the windmill itself going to do? Uh, and, and if you multiply that times all the windmills up and down the, the coast, that's more right whales than are alive, as they count them. You know, so again, it doesn't make sense. It's not about the lobstermen. You know, uh, take a look at it, uh, and everybody jump on board. You know, because uh, you know they're, you know, it, it's so frustrating. It, and and you can look at me as crazy as you want because it's that crazy. It doesn't make sense, and it's moving forward. 
crazy. That's why we're running. Yeah. You know, because there's so much that, that, uh, you know, we just got to, and I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I I know I'm going to butt heads in my own party too um, because I'm I'm that guy. Uh, If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. You know, and it's about the country. You know, uh, it's it's never about your platoon. You're going to fight for your platoon, your task unit, your team. But in the end, you don't do anything. That competitiveness in a platoon and task unit, it, it never supersedes your your task uh, uh, in the country. You know, I love the competitiveness in, in a platoon. You know, it's it's awesome because you're all fighting. You all want to be the one. You know, when when the building's burning. Um, you want to be, you know, the squad that gets called to go in, and uh, you don't, you know, firemen don't want the fire, uh, but they're all, all, all the men are competing so that they can be the guy on the team that goes in and helps, right? Um, but you never let that competitiveness, you know, it's, it's, it's like taking, you know, politicians are like taking the firing pins out of, uh, uh, you know the rifles so so that they 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 look better than the other guy you know uh you know it's it's like a a sales team you know um you know cutting the cord to the copy machine before the other sales team gets to print out their their briefs you know it's um that's the competitive that's going on in in politics it's um i've got six years is what the what the family agreed to is to do this for six years, and you know, I believe in term limits. You know, I will definitely self-impose because I got an awesome life I want to get back to, and uh, um, that's what you've got an objective. And when you when you transfer to from one command to the next, you know you've got a limited time there, and you're going to take that piece of string and you're going to pass it off as a rappel line, and then pass it off as a howitzer line, and, and uh, you know uh, you're going to have an objective at the end of that time that you're going to be successful. You're going to have made America better. And uh, that's not happening. It's a whole bunch of politicking and a whole bunch of saber rattling to get the next, uh, you know, election, you know, know, spun up, fund, you know, funded and everything else. Um, Yeah, finding that common ground and and getting it done. Uh, If they weren't so worried about getting their next, you know, uh, seat in Congress, the next term set up, they probably wouldn't be spending money and sprinkling it all over the place, you know, uh, making people happy with a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. Hey, uh, you know, um, this party's trying to do that to you and that party's trying to do this to you, um, you know, when that's not true, you know. Uh, uh, you know, definitely uh, these hot button topics, you, you look at the mailers that come in, you know, um, where, where they're, they're, they're teaching hate, you know, uh, and, these are like mailers for different candidates up in Maine. Yeah, uh, uh, in Maine, er, everywhere. everywhere. You know, we, 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 you know, the the. Uh, we even broach the subject because it's you get demonized. You know, uh, abortion. You know, uh, one side thinks it's a baby, the other th- side thinks it's a woman's right, uh, and basically, um, that topic is uh, um, either side thinks the other person's completely evil, and, and that's not the case. Each side was taught something different, you know. Uh, uh, you know, Republican women don't want to take away women's rights. They're strong Republican women, and they they're strong. They believe in women's rights, but they, they also believe it's a baby, you know. And uh, um, on the other side, they were taught something different. And uh, people are trying to make laws right now. They're saying they want to, but it's uh, it's not legal to make a law federally about it because it just got went, it has to go back through the Supreme Court. And, and uh, 
um, both sides are saying the other side's going to do something evil to your side. Well, no, you you actually can't. So why are you campaigning on it? You know, and, and uh, I mean that's I get you will. Th- this conversation is older, over, done. When I say you know my stance on it, and I'm pro life, but I will not legislate on it. I'll vote no either way it comes to me. You know, it's, uh, I mean, us saying this on air right now is crazy questionable because there's some people that will just shut down, uh, um, shut down on uh, both sides, uh, you know, because the people think I should take my position and use it to what they want, you know, but that's not constitutional. Mm-hmm. You know? So your, your statement pisses everyone off. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that going for so you. So I got that going for you. But you know what? I'm honest about it. Uh, uh, and, and it's it's not constitutional. It belongs at the state. That's how the country gets along is we have all these little countries that unified and became a federal republic. And, uh, uh, you know, there's different laws in, in uh, Massachusetts and California and, and Maine. And, and uh, um, the people vote on them. The representatives, you know, uh, represent them. And... That's how we get along. Otherwise, we would tear ourselves apart a long time ago, you know. And, and you know, we're, we're not going back to the '60s, you know, segregation. We're not, you know. Uh, that gets, I, I get so much gets thrown at me, uh, and I'll, I'm just, I'm just gonna be honest, you know. Um, it's uh, that hate, and I mean it's hate. Uh, we're they're they're accusing um, one side or the other of, uh, you know you know, uh, taking away women's rights. That The other side just thinks it's a baby. Everybody knows it's life. It's just when it's become human life. And we go so far left and right of it, you know. Uh, um, there's only three countries in the world that uh, um, that have late-term abortion. You know, China, North Korea, and America. And, and again, I don't care where anybody stands out. I don't hate anybody for their thought on it. I know that people have been taught different about it, you know, so <laughs> I have no idea if we should be going down this route. <laughs> Honestly, because uh, uh, it, it whew, it's crazy. Um, uh, I've been doing my lobster boat swims. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about those? No, tell me about your lobster boat swims. My lobster <laughs> boat swims. So I'm swimming, um, you know, uh, they have the lob. they had a, a rally, a concert on the water, a lobstermen's come around and, uh, 60 degree water and I got my campaign material in a, in a dry bag and I'm swimming boat to boat skinning it and I'm hey I'm Ed Thielander retired Navy SEAL running for U.S. Congress you mind if I come on board and tell you about the campaign I hit 50 boats one day like three and a half four hours in the water I did it five times um, swimming with the sharks and uh, uh, in Harpswell the, the great whites are out tearing seals apart mm-hmm. not this one uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm campaigning boat to boat again. And, uh, you know, it's just neat getting a lot of love. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, hit, hit the, uh, news guy. Uh, he's on the float and, uh, I won't say what channel I really want to, but, uh, you go, Hey, I'm Ed, you know? Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I know who you are. Uh, Hey, great. I said, you know, uh, it'd be great to get on camera. No, I won't cover you. You know, th- that's a crazy wild thing too. You know, it never been done, never has that been done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, pretty disappointing. You know, that, that's, yeah, that's another crazy disappointing thing is, is uh, 
that that slant on it is is pretty tough. Well, that's a good way for people to keep their intellectual media uh, loop closed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just yeah. not going to put you on. Right. That's that. I'm not going to let anyone form their opinions about you because they're not right. going to know who you are. <laughs> Craziness. Oh yeah. Craziness. No. Um. So I mean, it seems like that that gets us to present day. We caught up right now. Pretty caught up, yeah, yeah. We're we're uh, uh, running hard, you know. We're we're uh, it, it's uh, you know. I hit three four events in a day, you know. I mean, I hit three event four events uh, before I had my debate the other day, you know, just because I got to get the name out there. Mm-hmm. And we're you know uh, we're everywhere all the time, uh, you know, wife included, you know, a kid or two once in a while, and uh, just driving hard, you know, and seeing uh, you know, what what comes up. And you're down to the wire right now, huh? Yeah, we're down to the wire. Uh, got another forum or debate on Wednesday. It's a forum, I guess. We, they haven't given us the format yet. Uh, so that's coming. You know, th- there's a uh, a third-party candidate that just jumped in September 9th. Kind of can't figure that out yet. He's a write-in candidate that activates ranked choice voting. Um, so, yep, just vote Ed Thielander right across all three slots. Um, he's the love party. Love over violent empire. Well, I did say I love whales. Maybe I'm part of his his thing. Yeah, it's rank choice voting. It's another crazy. What's rank choice voting? So you can put him in in order of rank. Yeah, the top person gets three points or whatever. So if if uh, if I don't win by fifty one percent, you know, over fifty percent, then it goes by rank choice. So, you know, you choose one, two, and three, or you can just do one across for, for one candidate and, and kind of your ballots, you know, uh, doesn't give any points to the other people. How are the polls right now? The polls, uh, you know, the, the legit poll we have uh, is that we're out raising our three to one in Maine individual people, human donations. Okay. Uh, well, that's the a good the sign, other one right? is generic, uh, and it doesn't really take into account me because I'm, I'm still very unknown even though we've been doing it for 14 months it's amazing you know there's there, there's you know a district's you know, three quarters of a million people Maine smaller being there's six, 680 plus thousand you know can't reach all those folks mm-hmm. um, so we're, we're out there we're, we're in the places that the Republicans don't dare to tread because you know they're coming on board um, you know our first max donor was a far-left Democrat and Democrats signing up uh, um, to, to help us out to donate. What do, why do you think that is? Why do you think Democrats are signing up to help you out as a Republican? Because people are tired mm-hmm. of what's going on. Uh, they they, they want to see change. They're you know tired and scared for the winter. You know Maine is. Uh, uh, we God, heat the fuel six, prices is going to be crazy. Yeah, sixty percent of people in Maine heat with oil, and it's over double, almost triple what it was uh, last year, uh, and and going up. You know. Um, that's gonna, people are really gonna choose between heat and heat. Um, and and they, they were making that choice uh, before, you know. Uh, it's it's gonna be a very tough winter. Um, people don't wanna be dependent on the government, but it's kinda being forced on them right now. And that's wrong. We want, as Republicans, we want folks to be successful on their own. We help out, uh, um, but man, it's, uh, it's opportunity and freedom you know, uh, and responsibility, and uh, people want that. Maine is, you know, very independent. Uh, it, it's uh, a ton of the voters, most of the, a, a large in the state are independent. Um, and, 
they just want to be left alone and, and uh, you know, nobody wants to pay taxes, but they do and, and, and they want to work. You know, get people working again is what they want too. Uh, a lot of things have been shut down and, and uh, yeah, it's hard to find workers. You're experiencing that, you know, um, working on that. Found some folks that uh, been signing up for uh, some training by Echelon Front and a couple folks going to the musters mm-hmm. uh, as I'm, you know, going to the, uh, um, these job fairs, you know, talking to the, the not only the students that, that are going to some of these high school uh, job fairs, but the employers too, you know. Uh, um, and I, I mentioned it earlier, uh, uh, I don't know if the camper was rolling, but uh, yeah, the, uh, the Republican National Committee, um, the executive director, uh, issues uh, the field manual <laughs> <laughs> for discipline equals freedom to everybody that comes on board. Uh, pretty wild. Yeah, it, it's, uh, but yeah, people are tired, people are scared, and, and uh, you know, what's in power right now is, is influencing that. You know, yeah. whatever side you're on, uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's time to make them change. If you want change, because you can't keep doing the same thing if things aren't going right. Mm-hmm. You got to vote it in, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I do reach across the aisle. You know, and uh, you know, I'm your your typical Republican uh, conservative. You know, doesn't have purple hair. When I talk to them, get ton of love off of everybody. You know, uh, uh, tattoos up to the eyeballs. I don't. You know, I'm happy to talk to anybody. You know, um, you know, cannabis. You know, uh, folks. Uh, medically, you know, uh, so on board with it. Recreationally, it's legal in Maine. Let's tax it and, and move forward and, and uh, protect the the. It's, it's, you know, those folks are still buying stuff. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, Republicans aren't normally about that. Now I'm stepping on the, over the line, telling everybody right now I am, uh, uh, and that's not you know the Republican standard. <laughs> uh, I, I'm willing to say, hey, you know. Uh, yeah, I wasn't. I've never tried it, you know. Uh, um, you know, uh, I'm not a heavy drinker. Not never tried any of that. Uh, uh, but medically, I know it's helped so many people. Um, and uh, you know, prescribing an 11 year old Adderall, not a good plan. Uh, you know, there's other alternatives out there, are not addictive that that can keep them focused and straight. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to be so much smarter about that. So you so you have d- different viewpoints from the standard, and you got an open mind thinking about what makes sense to you, and not what the party line is. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's so a, that's it's, very scary, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, it's the way I really lived my life. That's how I got where I'm at. You know, uh, it's how I've got along. You know, from from childhood to now, and uh, that's what America needs. They need somebody that's going to problem solve and get along and and say, hey. You know, um, I made a mistake there. Uh, let's move forward. You know, and uh, you can't you can't not you know the OODA loop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, for anybody want to explain that? <laughs> Observe or orient yourself, decide and act, and then back to the beginning. Don't just keep moving forward. Yep. You know, small <clears throat> incremental decisions. You know, uh, and uh, yeah, but if you don't admit you even two to Two percent or a hundred percent got it wrong. Uh, you're never going to improve and, and you know do what we did in the SEAL teams and, and make such an awesome machine. Our debriefs in the SEAL teams are brutal, brutal, uh, uh, and uh, they don't do that. You know, uh, well, I'm going to do that. You know, uh, I'm concerned about you know, my own party. You know, and uh, uh, that, that I'm going to get along on a lot of things. We'll see. You know. Uh, um, 
you know, and everything I say, um, I'm willing to, yeah, check it out and see where, where it really is. Um, I mean, I've touched on subjects that, that uh, in this podcast that, meh, you know, uh, people are going to say, you know, crazy wackadoodle dude. Hey, you know what? I'm still willing to look at it and, and uh, make a decision, uh, maybe say I was wrong. You know, and, and move forward. Can't do it otherwise. Well, it's a refreshing attitude to hear. Where where can people if people want to support you? Thelanderforcongress.com. It's T H E L A N D E R for Congress.com. Four spelt out. And and if people want to see you uh, after you get done grading the church parking lot or driveway, <laughs> that's on Instagram. <laughs> yep, Facebook. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Thelander for Congress. At Instagram, Twitter, you're Ed for Maine. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is Ed Thielander for Congress. And you have a YouTube channel as well. Yes, we do. Uh, Ed Thielander. <laughs> yeah. Echo, what do you got for questions? I have none. No I mean, questions. I mean, I had one about the, actually, you know, I'm, I'm Send it, dude. So you. Uh, Come on, so dude, he needs practice. He's got yeah. a debate coming up. So you're gluten-free then. Yeah, uh, I'm a gluten-free keto kook. Wait, do you have celiac? Because you were having no. like celiac so symptoms. So I got tested for celiac, uh, uh, and no, um, not celiacs. Yeah, so just gluten intolerance. Just gluten intolerance, and now I'm a keto kook. And, and uh, When yeah. did you get on the keto program? Right about four years ago now. Yeah. And, and, and you love it. Love it. Feel you great. Know, feeling great. I mean, everything's clear. Brain's clear. Joints are better. You know. Uh, How long did it take you to lose 70 pounds? Um, well, the first 25 was, uh, when I went gluten-free, another 50-ish, um, was when I went keto and that was, yeah, within a year and a half, easy, uh, year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, it just came right off. And now you stay at 205. I, I can go down if I want to, um, easy, um, I just don't want to buy any more suits. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> right on. That's all uh, I got. Yeah, I got a couple pictures in my suit. Uh, uh, in my, uh, the, the white collared shirt I got. Yeah, that looks like your dad's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Ed, any closing thoughts before we shut it down? No, hey, um, hey, thanks for having me on. It's awesome. It's awesome to be able to get the word out, you know, and uh, hey, find that common ground. Let's move forward and uh, let's make, you know, uh, the best of, of, of our friendships. And uh, yeah, we will make things right. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, obviously. Thanks for coming out. Uh, thanks for your service to the country, to the teams. Thank you for jumping into this mayhem that you're jumping into now. And uh, I wish you luck in the political arena. I, just the fact that you can come on here and, and explain that you have different viewpoints than maybe one side or the other side and you agree with some and you agree disagree with others, that's an open mind. And for me, I think that's what it's gonna take to get our country moving in the right direction. So thanks for what you're doing, bro, and thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you. And with that, Ed Thelander has left the building. Echo Charles. Yes, sir. Are you happy you're not running for political office yes. right now? Yes. Current, I am currently happy that I'm not currently running. You kind of had a look on your face during portions of that um, recording that you were kind of happy that you weren't yeah. running for. Yeah, we were um, talking beforehand. And, you know, you when, when you get into that arena, this mm-hmm. is what I gathered. When you mm-hmm. get into that arena, you see the curtain kind of gets pulled back and you see kind of how things work. And then you, so essentially you have a problem in there where it's like, hey, we need to change this. 
How are we going to change that? Well, you know, this system is set up to allow this. Not necessarily for this, but it kind of allows for this. Well, okay, well, we'll change that then. Oh, well, but that system has to be voted on by the people who are benefiting from that system that allows this. And it's like, oh, man, so, okay, what do you got to do then? Then you got to do this. And, you gotta do, and it's like this big, like, unraveling of a thing yeah. with, like, so many unintended consequences. And it's like, man. It goes deep. And then that's that's on top of, like, the obvious stuff. I was like, wow, man. I'm glad you're running and not me right now, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, good on him. I'm glad we could get him out here um, because, you know, he's he's making an effort. He's And he's got a little uh, – he's got, like, a pledge about taking ownership of what's going on, mm-hmm. which is sort of, you know, taking ownership and actively participating in what's happening with the country. I can't make that claim. You know, I'm attacking it from a different angle, which for me, the angle is trying to bring manufacturing back to America, trying to grow businesses, trying to improve our economy through that methodology. But as far as jumping into the arena like him, you know, respect. So good on him. Uh, I wonder what, because you know how like taking responsibility for a mistake, it kind of seems real obvious from the outside or maybe because just because you talk it all the time, so now it's Mm -hmm. obvious to me. But I wonder if there's like some weird mechanism in the political world behind the curtain that kind of like doesn't allow for that. You know, like the the obvious, not an obvious one, but the, the one that just hit me like right away was, let's say I say something dumb mm-hmm. or I say something about something that, or, or make a decision that's wrong or whatever. And I say, oh, I'm not like I made a, I made a mistake, you know, or whatever. Is it because everyone will attack them like in the media? You know how media yep. outlets have different yep. sides where they'll attack them and then be like, hey, uh, freaking Jocko finally uh admits he was wrong no 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 they'll say it way worse than that they'll say say finally confirms he's inadequate for this decision making type or something like this you know i think it may have something to do with do you remember at the muster that we just went to there was a woman that asked it basically you know uh is it okay to say i'm sorry yeah, yeah, I remember. And, you know, like, of course, it's okay to say, you know, when you make a mistake, you say sorry, apologize for whatever mistake you made. But there's people, like, there's a whole leadership theory mm-hmm. that you never apologize. Right. Yeah, I've heard and, that. And, you know, so I think the thing that we're talking about on the political side, I think there's something out there yeah. that's very similar. Never admit that you're, hey, never admit that you're wrong. Right. Never apologize to, you know, the opponent. Yep. And, you know, like to me, it's the same thing. Yeah. You're just, if you make a mistake, apologize. Yeah. Hey, this is a mistake. Here's, here's what I thought was going to happen. Here's what actually happened. This is, I was wrong about this. Here's what I plan to adjust for next time. And I learned a good lesson that I can confirm will not happen again if I can prevent it at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just that. I think it's just, and the other thing is nowadays, I mean, I guess it's not even that, just nowadays. Uh, what is it? Goebbels said that if you repeat a lie enough, it becomes the truth. Yeah, yeah. And so I think a lot of people are just like, eh. yeah. you know, I didn't say that. Yeah. No, I did not say that. You know, oh, um, you know, Jocko, it's a, do you, do you still, do you still uh, confirm the, what you said last week about the blah, blah, blah? 
Mm-hmm. And I go, I did not say that. It was taken out of context. Right, right. right. Even though I did say it. Yeah. You know, but you just said, no, I didn't say that. It was taken out of context. In fact, that reporter has been known to take things out. You know, you just go <laughs> yeah. on there. In fact, yeah. my opponent has worked with that reporter in the past that that's why they asked that question because they're actually, you know, nefarious in their activities. Yeah. So that's what everybody does. Everyone just denies, makes counter accusations tells the lie enough time that it becomes the truth. And I think that's the standard operating procedure. And I think most people don't have time to pull the thread on it. I mean, some of the presidential debates last year were just ridiculous. Like they're just, they're just making accusations and then not even defending, (laughs) but just making a counter accusation and just, you know, you said that blah, blah, you said that the economy would do this. I never said that. You're like, what are you going to do? Go look up the quote? No. So yeah. it just becomes two people just shouting at each other. Uh, it's it's horrible. The political thing is horrible right now. Uh, props to these guys that are these these guys that are stepping up and doing something about it. Good on you. Um, and that's where Ed's at. So good luck, Ed. I think he's going to have a rough time. He's got he's got he's the problem. He's not a conformist. Yeah. You know, he's not conforming to one side or the other side. Right. He's got one view over here, but he's got another view. He's got one conservative view, one liberal view. Yeah. Do you think, because, you know, when you watch it on TV, that's like the So, you know what happens? He gets shredded by both. That's what happens. Sorry yeah. for cutting you off. But only on, because I don't know. I don't, I don't know everybody. Yeah. But I, it feels <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, you know that I don't know. Yeah. Yes. But. I feel like when you're kind of like an honest person who's like, oh, wait, like, I know I'm supposed to think this because I'm in this party, but like, man, I'm still I'm still yeah. kind of like pumping the brakes a little bit before I go hard on it because I want to find out more. And, oh, I'm sorry, I made that mistake. And, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Like, mm-hmm. this is how we're going to fix this mistake. You know, like, you would think that your everyday American person would be like, hey, I think I like that guy. Yeah. I think, I, I think I'd really, I don't know him that much, yeah. but. You're, you're probably correct. And that the extreme people on either side were attack. Right. And, but it's the normal people like, dude. Cut, cut him some slack. You know, he said something he didn't mean and he adjusted yeah. it. And then, but then they, at the same time, they watch the news who's like kind of like, if you use the cliche word fear mongering, but yeah. it's like they'll fear monger, you know, they'll be like, hey, wait, this guy freaking is already making mistakes or something yeah. like that. You know, like they'll put it in your head that this guy is unreliable because yeah. he made a mistake and he even admitted the thing. Yeah, like it's yeah. like he flagrantly made him. You know, it's like that kind of stuff when it's like, bro, you framed that as like this kind of scary bad thing when really most of us kind of think that's good. If you did, if this media, whoever, mm-hmm. the news, whatever, if they didn't say shit. Bro, we would have liked that guy. In yeah. fact, we would have need that. We need that kind of attitude, actually. You know. Yeah. So it's like, man, we're all kind of getting washed up in the cyclone. You know. Yeah. At some point, someone's gonna break through that has like a common sense attitude. That's what I felt too. I was that's like, like hey, you know, that's actually not true. No, I, you know, I said that, but I, I made a mistake. And here's 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 a more here's a more uh, holistic look at that issue. Yeah. So and boom, yeah. you know. But but again. If the if the out if the media outlet is against that person, they're only going to soundbite the negative thing yeah, all then day. That's not to mention, you know how they say, mm-hmm. and I don't know because obviously I'm not in politics at all. But they do say I've heard people are saying that if you go, let's say, you know, like um, like Tulsi, you know, had this happen to where she'll go in the I don't know Democratic Party, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
She'll go in and she'll start doing stuff that's like against, quote unquote, against the party. Then they'll get drummed out by the party itself. Yeah. And if they're playing that freaking like kill them game mm-hmm. or whatever, like they'll drum a person out who's like being all honest and stuff. Yeah. Well, Tulsi's a great example. <laughs> you know, yeah. she got crucified. Bro, so it's like this hard ass game to like to improve genuinely, you know? Yeah. Holy cow. Freaking! I don't know. It feels like yeah. I th- I felt it though. That I think you're right. I think like slowly by slowly, people are gonna be like, wait, how about let's actually like do the right thing? Yeah. How about yep. like let's just try it? You know, a little bit. You know, some people are crazy too. I, <laughs> there's, there, there's like crazy people. Yes, there's sir. there's people yeah. that their their political beliefs are a religion, and they're fanatical religious people, fanatical po- political people, mm-hmm. which to me is is. If you're that focused, if you get emotionally upset about political things, mm. then I think you you should you you got issues, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, there's I people so. that get emotionally and look, I can understand. You know, you get mad about something, or th- there's something that bothers you. Like, oh, that's you know, that's that shouldn't do it like that, right? Yeah. But if I'm going crazy about it, yeah, like even you heard me talking about uh, California, right? California has done so much dumb stuff in the last two years. And I'd be like, dude, are you kidding me right now? But I didn't freak out. I didn't get on. That's another thing. If you're on social media and that's like a place where you're spending your time. Flipping out on people. Flipping out on people. What was it? I think I was on that podcast with Chris Williamson. And he asked me something about, what was it? Like, how do you, you know. I think it was it was basically either how do you handle negative comments or something like this, mm-hmm. and I was like, bro, I mean, my recommendation is you don't spend a bunch of time being concerned about bots, yeah, bro. Yeah. They're bots. Yeah, I remember that was a good. One. So, I think when you're politically outraged about something, because <laughs> because here's the other thing you got to remember. Outraged. Okay, if you're a lobsterman yeah. and you're about to have your you're about to have your your entire ability to provide for your family, I can understand getting outraged about that. Yes, I can. I can understand being like, oh, you know what? I'm going to protest because they're about to take my livelihood away from me. But there's a lot of things that people get emotional about that actually really aren't going to have an impact on their life. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like a hypothetical thing or whatever. Yeah. Also to like... um, and then I don't necessarily see people getting outraged about it, but but being like con- really concerned about it, mm. you know, on a personal level <laughs> is um, the one that does make sense to me is like the taxes and stuff where like when you know you're going to get less of your paycheck. That makes sense to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah, well, way, if you want to make if you want to get even more frustrated about that, once you realize that the government is taking a bunch of your money yeah. and then you see what they're doing with it. And you, and you say to yourself, wait a second, bro. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, hey, if you were building awesome bridges, you know, and the streets were clean, like yep. look at California. If you're like, hey, you know what, I pay a lot of tax in California, but look, yeah. look, look at Main Street, you know, Los Angeles. This is a beautiful place. But you're not saying that. You're yeah. Literally, it's disgusting, <laughs> right? It's disgusting. And then they do other crazy things. Mm-hmm. So you could start to get a little spun up about that, but you know what you do then? You leave the state, which is what a lot of people have done. Yeah. How many people have, are leaving California? Yeah, A lot. Yeah, that should be an indicator. Yeah. And you could look at the federal taxes the same way. You're like, hey, look, I, I wanna pay for the security, I'm gonna pay for the military, right? Yeah. Hey, that's yeah. cool to pay for some infrastructure. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. But then when you start pulling the thread on those things, 
We should do a podcast where we just read through some of those expenditures. Oh, uh, it's yeah, yeah, insane. Yeah. It's yeah. totally insane what the government spends money on. Yeah. You can't make it up. If I tried to make up things right now for dumb stuff for the government to spend money on, I couldn't come close to the dumb stuff that they the actually stuff. spend money on. <laughs> the government cow. spends money on the dumbest things. Damn. And, and yet, what are you going to do? Well, you do your best to vote for people that want to tax less and that want to have a smaller government. Mm. Because big the, the bigger the government doesn't become more efficient, doesn't yeah. solve more problems. Like when you're going to, when you're doing a, an operation, you're going in, I had this conversation with Leif. Leif was like kind of in the learning mode. Mm-hmm. And you're taking down buildings. And you think, hey, I'll just put everyone in the building. But you can put so many in the built people in the building that they're kind of in the way. Now you gotta like hire someone, you gotta advance or promote someone to be in charge of the other group while they're in the building. And that means those two people gotta communicate, so you gotta put someone in charge. So you see what I'm saying? All of a yeah. sudden you got a bureaucracy in a in a in a kill house. <laughs> yes. We don't want that. No, we don't. That's like the big government problem. Yeah, you know, a sense. big assault force. Look, you need an assault force. You need to have enough people to handle the rooms and handle security. Cool. Yeah. I get it. But you can't just double that. Yeah and say, okay, now it's gonna be more efficient. It might not be more efficient. And if you triple it, you may have some real issues. Yeah. Now, now you have a problem. Yeah. And now the problem is the assault force itself. You have a chance of creating a blue on blue because yeah. there's so many freaking assaulters going in. Yeah. So the same thing happens with the government. I mean, here's they just, what well, this bill coming where there's 87,000 more IRS agents. Yeah. I think it doubles the size of the IRS. Mm-hmm. That's too many assaulters in the room. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's too many. How, hey, if the tax code, they don't even know really what the tax code is. You know, I hire someone. I can't figure out what my taxes are. Mm-hmm. I can't even come close to figuring out what my taxes are. Mm-hmm. I have to hire someone who's got multiple people working for him that goes through and figures all that out because that's how complicated it is. Yeah. So I have to pay someone who also pays other people to figure out what I need to pay the government. Yeah. Why, it makes sense that if the government is going to bill me for something, they just give me a bill and I pay it. Yeah. You know, I don't go into a restaurant, <laughs> order dinner, and I say, hey, uh, you know, how much do I owe you? And they say, well, figure it out. Yeah, here's a scale. You better weigh that rice. Yeah, that you here's got. how much. You know, here's the cost of rice right now. And by the way, if you don't, if you don't come up with the right number, we're gonna have you arrested when you leave the the, the restaurant because you didn't pay the money that you owed us. Well, I don't know how much I owe you. Well, you better figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. What if you overpay the gov like your taxes and you like let's say you overpaid your yep. taxes. And you it rolls forward. It rolls forward. Do they do that automatically, though? Or do you have to, like, say, hey, I overpaid, and then they do it? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that my accountant, shout out, Brandon, good to go. Out, Freaking awesome guy. Sometimes he tell, he sends me a list, like, this is what you overpaid and yeah. how this has got rolled over. But I don't know if he didn't do that. Would they just be t- taking that money? Probably. Yeah. I wonder, yeah. So that would kind of make it, uh, like, officially unfair. Bro, it's officially unfair as it is, <laughs> yeah. right? I think you're It's correct. officially unfair as it is. You are going to charge me. You want me to pay you money, but you won't tell me how much because I got to figure that out. And if yeah. I get it wrong, you're yeah, going to come arrest trouble. me. Yeah, yeah. Damn. How's that work? How did you know I was wrong? Well, why don't you just tell me what that number was? 
<laughs> right? I got to pay this other dude and his team to yeah. figure out how much money I owe you. And if I don't pay you the correct amount, you're going to arrest me, but you won't tell me what that number was? Yeah, that's, that's some brutal. crazy talk. That's brutal. You wouldn't yeah. think that that made any sense whatsoever. And yet that's how it works. It makes very little and sense. And now we got to hire 87,000 more people. 87,000. By the way, when you hire 87,000 people at the government, you when you get government federal jobs like that, that's a lifetime of pay. That's that's retirement pay. That's health insurance for the rest of all these people's lives. It's health insurance for their families. It's a crazy deal. It's not like you hired a, a number, a small number of people, and they're going to do some extra work. And when they're done with that extra work, they're going to move on and find another job. No, this is a you're you're hiring someone for their life. Yeah. That's what a federal job is. So these aren't like small budgetary additions. These are these are a total change, a paradigm shift in the size of this tax collecting organization. And that's the best you can do. Everything is digital now, and the best you can do is hire 87,000 more people to, to help us figure this out. Are you kidding me right now? So you wanna, you wanna talk about stuff that can get you crazy, that's one of them, yeah, that but, but nonetheless, I'm talking about it right now with you. I've never talked about this with you, and I'm, I don't. I know when I go home, I'm not going to be like fuming about it, right? Yeah. There's issues that people get spun up about, and and by the way, what I just talked about—that's a pretty serious issue. Mm-hmm. They're taking money that you worked for, and they're taking it from you, and they're spending on things that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. That's that. If there's one thing that could piss you off, that's definitely in the top seven. I agree. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean. Would you be mad if I went in, got into your car, took your wallet out, took your money and left? Would you be mad? <laughs> what if I only took 50% of your money? Yeah. Would you be mad? I would be mad, yes. And But what if I bought you dinner with your money, but I also kind of bought me dinner too? <laughs> so, so people taking your money is definitely one of the top things that can be annoying to you yeah. and can piss you off. Yeah. The government does that all the time. Yeah. So if there's, but that's the top seven. Definitely in the top seven of things that can piss you off, people stealing from you. Yeah. Hey look, it's, only, it's not stealing up to a certain point, because when, when the government takes money and they spend it on things that you know, help, hey, okay, we're gonna have a good military, we're gonna have good infrastructure, we're gonna have some reserve you know, fuel in case something goes, hey, I'm in support of those things, yeah. cool, I got it. Yeah. But that hits a limit, the government doesn't need 51% of my money to do that doesn't but they're taking it they're spending on some other shit some yeah. some shit that i don't uh, you know that is not right don't so that's where we end up proof of yeah but anyways you guys are talking about the o course how you can't just go in there anymore mm-hmm. you think you could do the o course uh right now yeah 100 percent. would you get a good what do you what do you guys time it or something yeah, like no, this it's definitely timed no i probably wouldn't get a great score because there's some technique that i'd be rusty on is there a minimum you got to make or something can you fail the o course you can definitely fail okay. the o course would you fail the work no o course? i would pass you pass it, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. would i yeah. pass it Pro- i would need to teach it to you for two days and yeah. then you'd pass it oh, no shit. yeah if you're if you're athletic like you if you can do pull-ups push-ups dips and you can run, you're gonna be okay. It's a, I tell you what, that O course is awesome. Yeah. When you get done with that thing, you're smoked. Oh, it's hard. It's like oh, a good, yeah. solid. Dude, oh, How yeah. long does it take, yeah. give or roughly? Seven minutes. Oh, damn. Seven minutes of putting out. <laughs> Seven minutes of putting out hard. Like, you know uh, you know the, mm. the taste in your mouth? You know what I'm saying? Like the, 
the, the I just put out real hard. What is it like a copper taste in oh, your yeah, mouth? Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You get that hundred percent. Oh, for real. Even if you're kind of chilling, like let's say let's say you and I went out there weekend, you know, we're in the teams and we just go out there, yeah. we're still gonna feel it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But when you go hard because you're trying to pass because you're in buds, bro, yeah. you feel that shit. It's big time. <laughs> big time. I always liked the expression "putting out." Yeah. I don't think I ever heard that till I hung around you guys or whatever. Check. Cool. Well, speaking of putting out, you got it. You got a fuel. Yes. The output. Yes. I'm not gonna gonna recommend you do that with some clean fuel. The cleanest fuel, Jocko fuel. It's true. <laughs> Physical, mental, integrity. Like these are all important things. So when you fuel that. You, you fuel your integrity? How'd you throw that one in there? I got no, no, physical, no. I got mental, no, you no, just no. tossed integrity bra, in there. I appreciate bra, bra, bra. No, 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 no. What I'm saying like you is. You got a kid and they're not, they're, your kid's lying in school. We give him some Jocko <laughs> fuel, tighten up tells his the integrity. Truth. Yep, <laughs> tells the truth. It's true. No, bro. Yeah. When you're putting out is what I'm saying. I'm going to make a new supplement called integrity. Maybe you should. Let's do it. All right. There All you right. go. Book it. Put it on the the books or whatever the expression is you guys use. Anyway, yes. When you fuel that output, when you're putting out all that stuff, <laughs> you want the supplements with integrity. You know what does integrity mean? Supplements, that's something. Okay. Energy, for example, energy drink. Mm-hmm. I'm explaining to you like you don't know, even though I do know that you do know. Energy drink usually has sugar, calf, uh, uh, preservatives, you know, poison. Right. Jocko Fuel does not have no, that. Clean. Only healthy stuff. Clean, clean stuff. Yeah. Integrity. That's what I mean. Exactly what I'm talking about. Same thing with the malt. Protein shakes, protein mix, and RTD. No mm. sugar. Sweetened with fruit. Not even like a, a sucrose or fructose no. or actual monk fruit. Monk fruit. So good. So good. Uh, yeah. So check that. Actually, on the way down, you heard keto. What, what did, how did Ed describe himself? Keto. Keto kook. Keto kook. I said, hey, man, you want one of these drinks? He goes, oh, I can't. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm, ke- I'm a keto kook. And I was like, we're good. Yep, good to go. He said, there's no sugar in there? I said, no, there's no sugar. It's sweetened with monk fruit. Yep. And he was like, oh, cool. Crack one open. Keto kook getting after. Keto kook getting after. Uh, keto kook approved. Yep. Integrity. actually says, what does it say? It says something on the can about keto. Keto friendly, maybe? Yep. Anyways. So there you go. Yeah. Get yourself some Jocko Fuel. JockoFuel.com. Go to Wawa. Go clear the shelves at Wawa. That's what you got to do. Clear the shelves at Wawa. Just go go in there to buy them all. That'll, that will help the campaign to grow. Because people look at Wawa and they say, oh, it's doing really well in Wawa. Cool. So if you want to help, help the campaign of growth, go to Wawa, clear the shelves. Vitamin Shop. Pink Mist is at the Vitamin Shop. Pink Mist has kind of been a big hit. Have yeah. you noticed that across the board? I, I had one today, and it's it's good. It's one of those like if you go to like it's 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 kind of what do you call it when it's safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like so. you can't go wrong. You can't yeah. go wrong with that one. Oh well, that's how you feel. A lot of yes. feel people. A lot of people feel that's the one. Oh no, that's, that's not the, the top one. of the list. No, well, that's because that's you one. like that mango. Mango's one. the one by far, my opinion. But I'm with it. I'm with the whole gig. Jogglefield.com, originusa.com. So, okay, so Ed from Maine. One of the problems up in Maine is gotta grow the economy. So if you wanna help grow the economy in Maine, go to originusa.com and you're gonna find blue jeans that were made in America, that are made in America, Je- uh, boots that, that are made in America, jujitsu geese that are made in America. We also have another factory down in North Carolina as well. So American made is what we're doing. 
at originusa.com. Go and get yourself some American-made gear and help America. Help manufacturing in America. That's what we're doing. We appreciate you helping us to do it and you doing it too. Boom. It's true. Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko's Store. Where you can get your Discipline Equals Freedom shirts and hats and hoodies and stuff. Also, we have the Shirt Locker, which is a subscription shirt every month. Cool designs. No more days where you don't know what shirt to wear. You got one. <laughs> don't you normally say it's a subscription situation? It is a subscription situation, 100%. Whether I say it or not. It's true. JockoStore.com, that's where you get get the stuff. Check it out. If you want something, get something. Uh, JockoUnderground.com, go check that out. We're putting out podcasts on that, and it's also a little uh, safe zone. Sure. What is that? Safe space. That's what it is. We're safe in there. They can't take it away from us. That's true. It's kind of not the the typical term, safe Mm -hmm. space. No. It's it's an atypical term. But I know that freedom of speech is safe inside jockounderground.com go check that out youtube check out that uh, you want to see some awesome videos that i have uh, assistantly directed assistant directed <laughs> <laughs> yes. youtube psychological yeah. warfare flipside canvas bunch of books you know what they are i've written a bunch of books echelon front leadership consulting company we solve problems through leadership go to echelonfront.com for details just got done with the muster down in Atlanta, it was an awesome event, and you know what? It was sold out, and everything we do sells out, so if you wanna to come to one of our events live, go to ashlonfront.com and check out the events. We also have the online training academy, so if you wanna learn these principles and you wanna train these principles for your business and for your life, go to extremeownership.com, and if you wanna help service members, active and retired, you wanna help gold star families, Check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a charity organization. If you want to donate or you want to get involved, go to americasmightywarriors.org. And also check out Micah Fink and Heroes and Horses, taking vets into the field where they can get lost and there they will become found. Once again, thanks to Ed Thielander for coming on the show and to follow him or check out what he's got going on, thelanderforcongress.com. The Instagram is thelanderforcongress. The Twitter is Ed for Maine. Facebook, Ed Thelander for Congress, and YouTube, Ed Thelander. And if you wanna hang out with me and Echo online in the in the zone, right? Sure. <laughs> in the interwebs. Yeah. We're on there too. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willing. Just, just be careful because the algorithm's there, and it's not, it's not for your friend. No. It's pretending to be your friend. It's going, hey, look at this. Like it's saying no. that to you. Yes, hey, look is. at this. Yes. Going to show you something, <laughs> and it's something you want to see. Yeah. Well, it's something that your most base form wants to see. Yeah. You don't want to see it. You want to be disciplined. You want to carry on with your life. You want to go execute on awesomeness. But instead, the algorithms got you like an octopus. I think we need an octopus algorithm T-shirt. <laughs> Bunch of different things trying to tie you up. So there you go. Thanks once again to Ed for coming out, sharing your lessons, and thanks for your service to the teams and your continued service to America. And speaking of service, I want to say thanks to all of our military. 
active duty and retired every branch every rank out there thank you for protecting our freedom and our way of life and thanks to our police and law enforcement firefighters paramedics emts dispatchers correctional officers border patrol secret service all first responders thank you for protecting us here at home and everyone else out there since we were talking about maine I'm going to go ahead and close with some more of the great Joshua Chamberlain. Quote, we can hold our spirits and our bodies so pure and high, we may cherish such thoughts and such ideals and dream such dreams to lofty purpose that we can determine and know what manner of men we will be. And that's right. End quote. We can determine what manner of men we will be. And we become that man by taking action. So, in the parlance of our time, get out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.